I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Revely, revely, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Back like a bad habit on the 28th of July, 2021. Hello, everyone. It is time for Morning Combat. I am merely one half of your hosting duo. My name is Luke Thomas. I'm from CBS Sports and Showtime. I join you from your nation's capital in Los Estados Unidos, but I have royalty with me. He is the king of CT. That's Connecticut. He might be the king of CTE as well. One never knows, but he's my friend and yours. It's Brian Campbell. Hi, Brian Campbell. Hi, Luke. I I will agree with you and say that's who the fuck I am right there. (laughs) The king of CT or the king of CTE? Whatever you want me to be, all right? I am whatever you say I am, Luke. And if I wasn't, then, uh, hey, I switched around my office again, so I got to update the posters behind me. But uh, new look, same old same old show, all right? Yeah, it's a little off-centered here. All right, we're trying our best over here at Team Campbell. But uh, I'm back. It's Wednesday. It's hump day, Luke. We're going to spin that stupid wheel again, talk some fight news, all right? All right? Hold on. I want to, I wanna, Corey, if you can, I want to focus in on this poster that's on the right shoulder of okay bc did you really put a poster on your wall with a thumbtack the mayweather poster well i did because i had it in a frame and the frame was uh was getting too much glare off the light luke and then the frame broke and then you know eventually i just thumbtacked it all right you know you can you can judge me all you want luke but you know i'm going to judge you for that you can you can get away with that when you have a lava lamp and you're drinking 40s when you're 20 you're an old man now. You got to put frames on this shit, bro. And well, I know, I, I know what you, I know what you make. You can afford nice frames. People know this. Frames don't work with the lights, bro. Okay, so you got to take the frame out, the plastic part out, and then suddenly you're compromising the edges of the poster. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a battle, Luke. Okay, it's a right. war. But people Real- don't want to hear, yo, you know, a chicky later. People, girls don't want to hear that shit, Luke. Okay, they want, they want to hear fight talk. All right. BC, your favorite poster in your studio is what? You know, uh, right now I'd have to say it actually is the web screen produced uh, 1917 pro- pro- uh, poster with my face on the main character's name. Because, look, <laughs> I look at our battle for respect and to take over the world in this combat sports talk show space and, you know, convincing the public this ain't no talk show. It's a sitcom, bro, okay? This is something that you need. Um, sometimes I feel like... The plot to 1917, it's a two-man impossible journey. And, you know, like that movie, spoiler alert, the more supposedly dominant fellow 
you know, he perished early, Luke, and, you know, one day that might be you, but even if you should fall, Luke, I will carry this flag to the top of the mountain. So that right now is my favorite poster, but, you know, I got the Mayweather-Mosley who-are-you-picking one. That's, that's not bad, Luke, okay? That's not bad, bro. All right, fair enough. Uh, we got a lot to get to today. We have some news about a UFC main event. Hello, Bellator 263 Fight Week is in full swing. We'll get you ready for that. Plus, we got a lot, some other news and notes, a little bit of boxing, some injuries, everything all the way related. So please give the video a thumbs up and hit subscribe, as you can see. There's the Bellator 263 lower third. But we are everywhere on social media. BC and I have slightly different names between Twitter and Instagram, but Morning Combat is consistent across the board. And if you're new here, welcome. We do this three times a week. This will be the Wednesday show. Uh, Look, BC, I'm a little if you want to off today because uh, one of our favorite staff members sev su uh, suffered death in the family, and I tried to lighten the mood with a with a humorous text, and it fell. Yeah, I mean, it fell, Luke. It fell like a grown man shitting his pants in a in a church pew. I mean, it, it just did not hit, Luke. So uh, I feel very bad about that. Fair enough. Okay, it was a little bit flat, but you know, there's always this, the rebound. That's what life is really about, BC. Yeah. It's the rebound. Um, so if you want to email us, well, today we're going to get to fan submissions, but then obviously on Friday we'll do dead wrong morning combat at gmail.com. That's the place to send all of your emails. By the way, if you want to try Showtime so you can see Bellator 263 this weekend, very easy to do that. You just go to showtime.com, get a 30 day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you can go do something stupid with your money because that's a great investment that's easy to make. Uh, as well, another smart investment that we're not really showing off, BC, but it is true. You can go to morningcombat.store, and you can get merch. You can get all kinds of stuff there that um, we're pretty lukewarm, <laughs> lukewarm about. <laughs> you're you're going to like the way it looks on you. <laughs> Somebody guarantees it, Luke. It might yeah. not be. No. No, we do have worldwide it's shipping. Shit. It's great shit. We got new designs coming out. Hopefully, Luke. I mean, we'll see. We'll see what happens. All right. Uh, what am I forgetting, BC? Anything else? Oh, the interviews are still going strong. The Patricio Pitbull resume review came out yesterday. And, of course, everyone's making jokes about curse this, curse that. But I really feel like, BC, we did Patricio Pitbull some justice with the length of that. I want to thank the team. I know Mikey and the folks at Malka did a lot of work to pull all the pieces of footage that we alluded to and then paste it on top there. That's hard to do. They, they, it took a lot of time, so I'm very grateful. And if you haven't watched it yet, please, please, please go check that out. They did their job, Luke, and they did it well. So I'm very happy with that. Check out our also uh, lingering interviews with the great Freddie Roach, Corey Sanhagen, who Luke sat down with late Monday for a fantastic chat. Luke, can you tease that at all? I mean, can you tell the people what they're going to get with that shit? Yeah, you know what? I was going to save a little bit of this for the live chat, but I'll say it now, which is that you know, folks are like, oh, you know, it's, it must be hard to get an interview with a guy after a loss, but I didn't do it that way. I actually hit him up before the fight, and I said to him, hey, you know, I would like to talk after the fight. He said, no problem. Then he lost. And, you know, listen, man, I'm at a stage in my career where, like, if you expect fighters to talk to you on professional obligation, sometimes they will. It, it, that can work. But I find that you get very bad interviews that way. I don't want to talk to anybody who doesn't want to talk to me for the most part. So I even said to him, I'm like, look, man, if you want to back out, like, no hard feelings, I get it. He decided he wanted to stick with it, answer the questions, go through with it, which I think takes a lot of guts. And I know it probably wasn't a lot of fun. So I commend him on that, and I think we got a better interview as a consequence. Plus, dude, it's just nice to see fighters be able to talk about wins and losses yeah. calmly. A lot of times you get a lot of anger and resentment, and I he's feeling some of those things, but I thought he was still pretty analytical the whole time. Not everybody's tough enough to do that, Luke. That's why you and I are so, you know, 
put out there on Fridays that we're going to do dead wrong. We're going to take those L's and be very calm about it and not say anything bad about the people that are uh, calling us out. So I can understand that stance. And also, Luke, people can check out the uh, Damien the Donk from the 209 interview, still available on YouTube. And Luke, have you got a little chuckle at all about uh, uh, Crazy Tattoo Damien's uh, ongoing Twitter feud with John Nash right now? It is it is interesting entertainment at best, right? I've not paid even a single bit of attention to it. I've not listened to that video that he put out. I couldn't tell you anything about it. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. For, you know, <laughs> looks like I couldn't tell you the names of our staff members either. I don't give a shit. I'm in this alone, okay? 1917 for life, brother. Thank you. All right. Listen, there's only one person in this world you can rely on. That's the man looking back in the mirror, which is sad news for me and for many others, but it is the reality. All right. With that in mind, BC, we have a show to get to, so let's get it going here. Topic number one, uh, not the biggest topic of the day. The biggest one will be Bellator 263 storylines. We'll get to in just a second, but it is breaking-ish news that I wanted to get to first, BC. Kamaru Usman versus Colby Covington 2, according to Brett Okamoto of ESPN, Dana White tells him... November 6th, and they're looking to get it, it seems, at Madison Square Garden, which means there's a good chance you and I will be there, BC. Of course, they met for the first time, as that folks know, at UFC 245 in December of 2019, which had scorecards all over the place. One was 2-2 heading into the fifth, one was 1-3, one was 3-1, and of course, you know, there's something of a controversial stoppage. I don't think it's all that controversial, but Kamara was winning the fifth round pretty handily. Okay, uh, Usman is ranked, obviously, uh, unranked because he's the champion, and I think Covington is ranked 2 or 3. BC, your reaction to the UFC, in some people's minds, leapfrogging Leon Edwards to run it yeah. back with Colby. Do you think that was the right choice? You know, it's the right choice commercially, and I'm not surprised at all because Dana has been so steadfast this whole journey in saying that he loved the shit out of that first fight. Look, rightfully so, right? I mean, I don't think it necessarily got the fight of the year loved it deserved. It was a, a stand-up war. No takedown attempts on either side, and they, you know, a war of attrition. They bit down and they went after it, and as we already know, Luke, that's... the that's what Dana's here for. He's here for that kind of stuff. So you know he's going to reward a guy in Covington who, you know, markets himself and, and is willing to fight that style on the highest level. Is Leon Edwards more deserving? Absolutely. But that's where we're at, Luke, okay? And it's going to be a big one. And you have to respect that Dana's going all out and not only wanting to make this fight next, loving this fight, but putting it at MSG, which, Luke, still matters to me. First of all, having grown up just, you know, an hour and 20 minutes from MSG myself, that arena still matters to me. When people say world's most famous arena, I, I get goosebumps because everything I've seen in that building, Luke, from NBA playoff games to concerts or whatever, it's just it's just jacked up just a little bit more. So is this the perfect fight for that venue? Tell you what, it don't suck. The, you know, the, this 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 will work, Luke, and this will be a fun-ass fight. Will the buildup be, be cringe-tastic? Probably. But, uh, Luke, if they are going to bite down and go to war again, which I'm not convinced necessarily that they will with the same single-minded determination they had the first time around where there was almost this gentleman's agreement not to shoot because we want to find out who's tougher. Either way, Luke, will you not be entertained? Of course you will, okay? The Masvidal rematch? Yeah, money grab. This is a halfway there money grab. You know, it's also a great fight and a top contender. Maybe not the most deserving, but a top contender in Covington. Um, I'm fired up for it, Luke. I want to be there. Do you think, though? that the style, the way this fight will break out, will look dramatically different at all from the first one or really be a carbon copy in your eyes? 
Carbon copy, probably not, but um, it will be interesting to to see. I want to answer that question in just a second. The first thing I would say is, I mean, I think this debate's a little bit worn out, but it is just disingenuous of MMA media to spend a lot of time writing about how Colby Covington's not a draw. And to be clear, he's not some A-level draw. That, That part is true. But here you have a case where he's very clearly not the most deserving guy in the weight class, and he got the fight because... He's the bigger name. I mean, he has developed his name to at least such a degree and has promoted rivalries to such a degree that he becomes the smarter commercial choice for the organization. You have to say that out loud. I know a lot of folks don't want to give him credit for that, and that's fine if you don't, like in the sense that you don't like his shtick. I don't like his shtick either, but uh, there's a lot of time spent denying his place either as a talent or as a draw. And again, it's it's there's limits to both of those. But, you know, if Leon Edwards is going to get passed over for somebody, there's a reason for that. And it's not just because I think the fight would be better, although that's part of it. It's also because, dude, he's going to draw a lot more eyeballs to this. You should say that out loud. So I am. That's the first thing I'd say. The second thing I'd say is part of the reason he got it was the one I just alluded to. If you look at the first Usman-Covington fight and then the first Usman-Edwards fight, the the Usman-Covington fight is just a million times better. Now, to your point, BC, will it be the same the second time around? I've been doing a lot of thinking about this. I mean, I remember Covington even saying, I think after the Usman and the first Masvidal fight, that he was surprised at some of the wrestling success that Usman, uh, excuse me, that Masvidal had, either defensively or offensively, along the way. He was like, you know what, I'm going to take some lessons from that and maybe try and take him down or you know mix it up a little bit more. So I do think you're going to see at least more wrestling attempts from Colby. The operative question is, is it going to work? And if it doesn't, he's got to strike with him on the feet. And the, the, the reality about this is, dude, Usman is a much, much better striker than even the first time that they fought. He is Damn just right much more is, accurate. His combinations are better. His distance is better. So if you're Covington, I do think, BC, there's going to be at least more attempts at wrestling. But I don't know if they're going to work. And if they're not, this is a much more difficult fight for him than even the first time. Well, look, I just established that I like this fight a lot better than the second Masvidal fight, which, you know, no one is was ever discounting Jorge's puncher's chance in that one. But it, it felt like a we don't really need this right now. We know why it's happening thing. Do you think, though, that there's even though we expect Covington to be more competitive in the second one than Masvidal was in his second chance? that it's still in that same category, meaning you just alluded to the fact that Usman might be like a lot better than he was that co- the time he fought Covington in Las Vegas. His striking has evolved so much. The work uh, w- with the new trainer, just absolutely brilliant stuff that's coming out of that camp with, with uh, Coach Whitman. I don't know if I've seen that same level rapid improvement. No, I haven't in Covington's game. So I'm wondering if in hindsight, Luke, will we may end up looking at this like we look at the Masvidal one now. I mean, it helps that, you know, Usman got him out of there with one punch in such vicious fashion where you're like, holy shit, this guy really is your pound for pound king. I mean, Usman is the damn real deal. I know it's, it's it's you know, a couple months away. We're not previewing or breaking down the fight. But do you think there's any chance this could be end up being a one-way traffic type deal from Usman the second time around? And we look back and go, oh shit, that was uh, UFC kind of cashing out the elite version of Colby like they just did with Jorge. I think there's a very real possibility, a very real possibility. Now, again, I wouldn't want to deny Colby um, the reality of his championship possibilities either, but he was calling for a rematch pretty early into that one and complaining about the stoppage that Mark Goddard 
executed in the first fight. And I think if he had gotten it pretty close to that time, the conversation would be a little bit different. But since that first fight, Usman has shown a lot more growth. Now, we've seen him more times. We've not seen Colby all that many. I think we're just two times since then, if that. Um, so, you know, he's... And, and yes, he looked good, certainly. And, and, in fact, he beat Woodley in his last one with the wrestling in a way that um, perhaps you thought he might strike with him and that was dominant enough to matter. Like, I take the abilities of Colby Covington very, very seriously. And I think everyone else should. However, I also feel like what we know, and this could be limited, but what we know is that Usman is dramatically different and much, much better in ways that took what he was already good at and made them even sharper weapons. It's not like he got a bunch of new weapons, BC. He just got the things that he was good at and really cleaned it up and polished it and made it much more um, efficient and accessible and I think that's going to be, listen, Father, I have a hunch. No one really knows. I have a hunch that Father Time is probably going to be Kamar Usman's biggest challenge. But obviously, Colby Covington has something to say about that. All right. Fair enough, Luke. Okay. Hey, what a, what a year to be an MMA fan, okay? Big, and by the big way, ones. A listen, lot of big I don't, ones, Luke. I, I don't know what's going to happen between now and November. Everyone does. I really hope this fight is at MSG. It's good for you. It's good for me. It's good for the game. I think it'd be a really big fight if they can make it happen. Um, let's just, you know, knock on wood that whatever's happening with COVID doesn't, you know, uh, make everything go back to the apex. I mean, because look, I would love this for Saturday's this card, which, let's be honest, was, was one of the worst on paper of these in-between UFC fight nights. And we get enough great stuff that it's hard to, to really hammer them. But look, Uri Hall versus Sean Strickland's just not moving it for for a lot of us. It's losing fights left and right. Are you... As a, uh, you know, day one-ish Luke Fauci super fan here, the, the great doctor. I've never uh, said one kind word about Anthony Fauci, ever. Not once. Would, You've never heard There's a lot of people on my Facebook that. timeline wearing Fauci lied t-shirts, Luke. Okay, that's their preference. Yeah. But my yeah. question to you is, Luke. Well, he did, but. Um, wow, okay. Uh, you know, do you have fears, uh, not just for the, for the world, but uh, the fact that sports again, UFC, elite boxing, all that. By the end of this year, we could be in trouble. I know this isn't the place. Some yeah. people, Luke, some people in the podcast space are tired of your political slants and rants, not, but not me. How, how is it political to talk about a, a virus that could, that independent of your choice or my choice, could shut this down? Like, I think you have to acknowledge it at least exists, or at least the possible. Here's what I'll say. It's too impossible to predict. There are places like Florida that where shit is blowing up, and I don't know what's going to happen there. There's a lot of states where there's nothing really going on. So my hope is that... Everything is fine. I just think for folks like, oh, I don't even want to think about it. I'm like, well, no one really wants to think about it. I don't want to think about it either. But we live in a world where we just can't ignore the possibility. It could happen. How likely? We'll see when we get there. I don't know. I hope I hope like to the, God that it doesn't yeah. happen. Like the great Mark Ramundi once told Dana, it's a legitimate question, Luke. Okay, it That's is. That's it. At the That's end it. It's day. just a legitimate question. But what happens from here on out? I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I just, right. I would, oh, it would Luke, be, it would be sad if we lost it. I'm just, I'm just saying that. Let me just clean it. Give me, take me sixty seconds. Clean. It. People are just hating on me from Monday's show. You know, BC couldn't score an MMA fight if he was, you know, sitting at a boxing match. Um, <laughs> I, guys, okay, I may have, you know, maybe not fully re represented my view in a way that you can, you can uh, bite down on, but. Uh, Damage will always be the lead scoring criterion in any combat sports fight. What I was saying, which Luke was also kind of saying, is when damage is not the lead overwhelming thing to score, 
I would like MMA scoring to take a little bit more serious the other potential categories, yes, some that we do see in boxing that term MMA fans don't know and hate, ring or cage generalship. So what I'm saying is Sanhagen landed the better strikes, but was his quote-unquote damage in some of these close rounds overwhelming enough that he has to win the round because of that? That's where my debate came in. That's where I opened the door for TJ to win that fight. Um that's what it is, okay? Go sit on a cactus. All right, that's fine. Go ahead. All right, I'm, Luke, I'm a little salty today, all right? I'm sorry. I see that. I see that. Well, I'll, I'll just say I, 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 we're not in total agreement, but we're in principle in agreement because this idea of, of uh, impact and, and more, you know, in a more colloquial way, damage being this determinant about who wins the striking, A, sometimes that can be hard to parse, right? That's the first thing. But the other part is, I still feel like the judges have been told, okay, effective grappling is only X. Um, positions don't, yeah. you know, uh, shouldn't carry the same kind, of, same kind of significance without some kind of an accompanying factor, which I think in principle is right. But then when you ask them to adjudicate that, they undersell it in certain ways and then oversell it in other ways. And it's still inconsistently applied fight to fight, which is true of any rule. I'm just saying that one can't be forgotten. So there's a debate to be had there for sure. You know, I got for those sure. DMs that say, you know, how stupid could BC be? He's, he's trying to score a fight on rules that aren't even there. Well, so are those judges. Okay. Cause they seem to be showing their own strike zones of late. So, so really yeah, exactly. that's the, the reference point in the debate I'm trying to open up, but uh, all, all good. Right. Love, love our people, Luke. Let's carry on. Fair enough. So let's go to point number two here, and let's kick off what is, to me, uh, you know, listen, Bellator's card is better than UFC's card this weekend, and it's not especially close. Now, granted, the UFC card is not very good. Uh, in fact, I, I wouldn't call it bad, but it's not good. And the Bellator card is is very good, even with the loss, unfortunately, of the Megamed Megamedov and Rafion Stotts uh, fight. BC, one note before we dig into the main event, I just want to point this out. I didn't notice until another buddy of mine who fought in Bellator and won pointed this out to me. Uh, opening the prelims on Saturday night is a guy by the name of Justin Barry. He's taking on someone who's called Daniel Compton. Daniel Compton is 4-3, and three, so not a great record, but he's got seven pro fights. This will be the pro debut of Justin Barry. Why do I bring this up? Justin Barry was maybe my favorite training partner for years here in Washington, D.C. He moved, I think, to Florida to get his master's degree in like computer programming and then ended up in California. I'm not sure. I think he's training at Alliance. I'm not really sure exactly where he's at, but... Um, uh, we talk a little bit on uh, on Instagram. Justin Barry, nobody kicked my ass more than Justin Barry, and he made it look fucking effortless. But he also made me a lot better than I ever would have been were it not for him. Uh, I'm talking about a guy. I don't know how good he is now, but let me tell you, in the training room, this guy fucking beat everybody, unless it was like a way higher belt or something. He would just run through people, and he was not only naturally talented, he was an absolute workhorse he was always in the gym always either drilling or studying or sparring or just observing he was a absolute animal i am very excited to see him make his pro debut i don't know what his ambitions are but keep an eye out for justin barry it will open the card on saturday and i have a tremendous tremendous amount of respect for his abilities so be on the lookout for that however Great bc to see you, Luke. is he related to pat barry at all <laughs> no, Justin Barry is, uh, well, first of all, he's black, and uh, I don't think Pat Barry is. And uh, second of all, I think it's just a similar last name, or the same last name anyway. But okay. okay, we start with the main card, BC, at least the main event. Patricio Pitbull taking on AJ McKee. Now, we laid this out in the resume review in grand detail, but it is worth thinking about BC, 
the one key way to understand this bout. True or false, the key way to understand, no pun intended, so to speak, between Pitbull and AJ Mickey is it's the past slash present of Bellator versus maybe the future of Bellator. True or false? Yeah, no, absolutely true. So, so here's what I love about this fight, the stakes. And I think some people understand the stakes, but it goes even deeper than that. It's for the featherweight title. It's for the finals of this great 16-man tournament. It's for the $1 million prize, which certainly doesn't suck. It's for pound-for-pound number one in Bellator. But Luke, you and I, in doing many different types of previews for this fight, some of the stuff that's available now, some of the stuff still to come, have identified that one thing. It's also potentially a passing of the baton, of new versus old, like you said. But Luke, the reason why we say... This fight might be the best fight in Bellator history or the biggest stakes, okay? Not the most commercially viable, but the biggest ever is because, look, I cannot remember, and and correct me here if I'm just sleeping on something, a fight where literally you have the number one guy in a promotion's history against a guy who, with a win, like literally could steal everything he has. With a win, if AJ McKee goes to 18-0, becomes your featherweight champion in Bellator, becomes Bellator's number one pound-for-pound fighter, it's too early to say he's the greatest fighter in Bellator history, but if he goes out there and convincingly beats the guy that we're all like, hell yeah, he's the greatest fighter in Bellator history, it's going to be hard giving AJ McKee's special circumstances and how he was groomed and came up only under the Bellator flag to not consider him the best fighter the promotion has ever had. When he when you start off your career going 18 and 0 and you go in this tournament and just rip through people. And if he can have the same level of ease, which no one expects him to have ease against Pitbull, but if he can go in there and win convincingly. Luke, when was the last time you saw a fight in which there was that 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 much of a potential handoff? It's you know, it's not like we've seen aging pay-per-view star against you know, pay-per-view star of the future, and if the younger guy wins, which the younger guys typically do, you understand what you're handing off there. But even though Pitbull's older, 34, he's not, you know, he's not old. So uh, are we right to look at it this way, Luke, that if McKee wins, I mean, he's the face of Bellator, past, present, and future. I've never seen stakes like this in one single fight before. No, you're 100% right. Like you said, I, we, we, and we went back into the archives and talked about everything. I've been covering Bellator literally since their first event. I remember it very distinctly. And um, there's no equivalent. Yes, there, there might be better fighters in the world, but there's no equivalent in the way that you framed it in UFC or really anywhere else. Why? Because, one, to see someone this tenured in an organization is not necessarily um, – rare but it's not common either right so you have the you have this sort of setup with patricio pitbull but there's two things i would add on top of that first it took time to figure out like when you asked a question who's the best fighter in bellator history before it was kind of wishy-washy there was really no way to answer that because you could get ryan bader coming over and he's got two belts but he's barely been there you know um and before patricio became patricio we've talked about it his whole story is accumulated greatness so it got to a point where he was the runaway choice but before that you couldn't even have this question about the best fighter in belter history versus x or y it's the first thing i'd say so it took a while for him to get that status But A.J. McKee is really the story here because all of his fights have taken place inside of Bellator. Now, Bellator is not UFC. UFC is not Bellator, for better and for worse. 
But one thing that Bellator has, and I made this point with Dylan Dennis, God knows what he's doing with his life, except calling out people on Twitter and then not fighting them. But the reality is with Bellator, they have a capacity to both entertain the higher end of the game and the lower end of the game. When I say low end, I don't mean like bad per se, but just um, um, literally brand new to the professional ranks. They can offer a home to somebody who wants to make their pro debut, who is two and one, who is five and zero, oh, something like that. Whereas UFC, we talked about how they're not good at saying goodbye to their elder statesmen who are no longer able to compete. It's also not hospitable for somebody to make their pro debut there. We've seen it; people have tried it. Even Brock Lesnar didn't make his pro debut there. Uh, you know, even he had the one before he got there. It's very, very difficult to be in the UFC if you're not ready to be in UFC. Well, Bellator is a little bit different. It's a little bit more expansive. So what you've had is this guy with accumulated greatness in Patricio Pitbull became somebody that the organization even previously couldn't have crowned anyone. He's really the first guy to ever hold that mantle, best fighter in organizational history. Simultaneously, 17 fights, you've had a guy grow up 100% under the roster of Bellator and has blossomed into what you see today, this is extremely unusual in mixed martial arts to get a pairing like this. And BC, they just so happen to be the finalists from a tournament. Man, I'm sorry. Like, you just can't script storylines this way. It's extraordinarily rare. Let me frame it like this for McKee. And we're focusing on McKee because he has more to gain, certainly. <clears throat> I mean, you know, Pitbull has a lot to gain by beating a, a, a kid this great and winning this tournament, yes. But Pitbull's your two-division champion face of the franchise. Is McKee everything if he wins this fight? What Aaron Pico was supposed to be and still might be, although through some many hiccups, but was supposed to be. And what I mean by that, Luke, is you remember <laughs> when Brett Okamoto first started writing features on Aaron Pico, it was like, he was the guy, you know, putting that stuff that went in the headlines, the greatest, the, the brightest prospect in MMA history. And you look at Bellator's story and trying to get out in front of the P Aaron Pico business, they were bankrolling him as a high schooler, preparing, you know, knowing his strengths in all, all the categories and preparing for him eventually signing on and fighting with this promotion. I mean, this has been a relationship, Luke, that's gone back a long time. Now, there's been enough hiccups where we don't exactly know how the Aaron Pico story is going to end. I think he'll end up winning a champion, a major championship. I think he has figured some things out. We don't know. McKee is kind of playing out his career, Luke, like we all thought and like Scott Coker probably thought Aaron Pico would. So in that regard, we talk a lot about Bellator's identity and sometimes their identity is, well, you know, for a while it was freak fights. Sometimes it's signing aging UFC free agents, but they've really tried to bring back a grassroots focus. And I think we're certainly seeing that now with the rise of guys like Amasov and, and Nemkov and you know not guys that didn't necessarily start in Bellator day one but made their name as Bellator champions. Really, McKee has the chance to be the greatest success story Bellator ever could have hoped for. And that that really says something because when you're trying to compete, and you said, you know, UFC isn't Bellator, Bellator isn't UFC. We all we all get that. There are times though when Bellator can raise to an elite level where you better believe they are competing with the UFC. For them to have a potential guy that they found raised up that has a chance on Saturday night on Showtime to best the best fighter Bellator's ever had. I mean, Luke, that's like dream day one-ish scenario of taking a guy, putting him under your brand, and having that guy elevate your brand by how great he becomes. Pico could still be that, but it's not going to be as perfect as McKee has the chance to be. I think that's I think that's right. I think you, you, it's it's just so rare to see somebody reach elite status 
from the pro debut at this moment. But I will also say, while I do think BC that it's better for Bellator, at least, you know, long term, if someone like McKee goes in there and beats someone as established as Pitbull, yeah, that's probably better for them over the long haul. I will say this. You still see, we saw it today with Aaron Bronstetter. Patricio is not really fucking around with this idea that he wants to go win a belt at 135. And I got to tell you, I like his chances if he does. So I'll say this. If McKee wins, I mean, you want to talk about proof of concept of what Bellator can offer. I can't think of a better advertisement for it than what AJ McKee will have done at that point. Conversely, though, if Pitbull wins, I think Scott Coker and uh, Bellator would be committing promotional malpractice if they didn't actually try and make that idea actionable. He's only 5'6", Patricio Pitbull. He can make 135. For your power to carry to 155, where you can grab the belt there, you're the king at 145, and you could make 135. And you look at what the people down there are doing, I, I, I think he beats them pretty easily. Dude, that is the the, the first person well, to win three titles. At the, easily. Okay, Look, can easily. You, can you put some respect on Sergio Pettis' name, please? Yeah, I don't think he's in Pitbull's class, man. I really don't. Um, I, I think the punching power would be dramatic in difference. So I'll say this. Uh, while I do respect what he has done tremendously and beating Juan Archuleta the way he did, incredible. I, I think you have to take seriously, if Pitbull wins on Saturday, to have someone win three titles and hold them simultaneously uh, in uh, one moment, dude, that, you're talking about next-level shit with that. And it's, it's, a, it's not some far-fetched fantasy, dude. That's a real possibility if he gets his hand raised on Saturday. What do you think the possibilities are, if McKee wins, that AJ's hopes and dreams would play out where he would then move up to 155 and challenge Patricio for that Bellator title. I mean, this is me basically wishing a trilogy upon these guys, Luke, but, you know, that's also in play for the promotion if they wanted to go that route. I couldn't even comprehend what that would mean. Like, to go and beat Pitbull at 145 and then going up to 155 and beating him again, I suppose it's possible. Anything is possible. Yeah, I don't even know, dude. I haven't given it much thought because I guess it's one fight at a time, even though I'm here sitting talking about Patricio going to 135. But, dude, that would be... You know, be, beating Patricio promotional... one time is hard enough. Beating him twice across two weight classes, that's that's impressive. You think that's promotional malpractice to 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 try to do that? Or do you think, you know, let's say let's say AJ beats him at this weight class, then you moved up to fifty five and Patricio beat him there for all we know. I mean, you know, then you got yourself a rivalry and a series and something massive. But you may have that anyway if this fight's great and they want to run it back. But, you know, I don't know. You know, if they let AJ run through Pitbull twice, you'd also have a star. So uh, there's a lot of good stuff. Hey, good problems to have for Bellator as we roll Absolutely. out of this. But, but great fight. Very good card. Not, you know, very unhappy that the Magomed-Magomedov fight fell apart. But, Luke, you know, there's some pretty good matchups up and down on this card. Uh, this feels like the big deal Saturday night at the Forum in L.A. Let's go through here real quickly if we can. I just want to start things off. You have Chris Gonzalez taking on Goichi Yamauchi. Now, this was the replacement. I think this was supposed to be like the main event of the prelims, but then when the Stotts and Magomedov fight fell out, they bumped this one up. I love this fight. Chris Gonzalez, a southpaw, a dominant wrestler out of Team Alpha Male, undefeated, taking on, I would call, something like something like the Charles Oliveira of Bellator and Goichi Yamauchi. Then you have 19-1 and Islam Mamadov taking on Brent Premis. Premis's only loss is to, you can hear my daughter crying, uh, Premis's only loss is to Michael Chandler, which was a hard-fought loss in Hawaii. Mamadov, I think coming over from PFL, he's a hammer. Usman Nurmagomedov, cousin of uh, Khabib, so maybe Khabib will be in attendance. 
taking on Manny Morrow. I don't know much about Manny, candidly. But then, in the co-main event, Mads Burnell taking on Emmanuel Sanchez. Emmanuel Sanchez is going to want to pop back to, to life after that loss to Pitbull. And Mads Burnell has been a guy who, you know, I think that he made it to the UFC a little bit early in his run. Uh, he had less than 10 fights by the time he made his organizational debut there. And he won some and he lost some. But since then, dude, I think since 2018 uh, in his fight with a Cage Warriors, he hasn't lost since. And no, in his last and couple of, since then. Yeah, and he's had two wins in Bellator, both of which has been stoppages, including over Saul Rogers, who's a good fighter. Dude, he's, he's an excellent talent. We know how good Emmanuel Sanchez is. That is a phenomenal, phenomenal dude, main I, event. Or I'm looking, I that's a great co-main event. And I'm looking forward to seeing what type of fire Emmanuel Sanchez comes back with, Luke. Because, you know, we told his story heading into that semifinal rematch with, with Pitbull. And it was like, you know, this was the guy that gave Pitbull the hardest time in the initial fight, in the you know, in that most recent title reign. And we're like, you know, he's got a legitimate chance to go in there and... and push Pitbull five rounds like he did the first time and have a shot to beat him, you know? And then he, he got railroaded, Luke. So he's a great fighter. I, I want to see what type of fire he comes out with against a guy who's so hot in Burnell. And you mentioned quickly Manny Murrow, Luke, to... I remember that name because he was the guy they brought in to fight Nick Newell, and it ended up being a split decision win for for Murrow. And they loved his fire so much that they signed him and brought him back. And he has uh, not lost Luke since coming to Bellator, so he's been looking good. And then, of course, also in the prelims, Georgie Karakani in his back against Kiefer Crosby. Uh, of course, and then the kicking off the prelims, my guy, Justin Berry, taking on Daniel Compton. So um, there's a lot. There's a lot to like. And I believe the main card will start on Saturday, 10 p.m. in the East. 10 p.m. in the East is when everything is going to get going. But uh, yeah, Luke, it's although you and I are not there, our original plan was to be there. We had some hiccups. You, myself... Sugar Rashad Evans, the Hall of Famer, we will be providing an extensive amount of coverage this week on the Showtime Sports uh, social channels, on CBS Sports HQ, uh, after the fight on Saturday night with instant reactions. So it's going to be wire to wire, Luke, you know, talking press conference, weigh in, all that good stuff. MK's got you covered. It is MK all day, basically every day at this point, Luke. So this is going to be good stuff for all things Bellator 263. Yeah, last thing I want to say about this is, you know, I've seen a lot of iterations of Bellator come and go. Had many conversations with Bjorn Rebney back in the day when he was the guy in charge, and then Scott took over in 2014, and they changed. And even since Scott's been here, they've gone through a number of different alterations and blah, blah, blah. I, I, I'm telling you, man, I'm really struggling to think of a fight this historically important for the organization. As we've talked about before, BC, you know, I was there for Kimbo Slice, Dada 5000, Kimbo Slice versus Ken Shamrock, and those were huge, man. You know, I remember the the the, the numbers on Spike were just through the roof. He, he remains. Kimbo Slice is the most popular fighter in Bellator history by a long shot. Okay, fair enough. But in terms of, you know, forget about the audiences for just a second. In terms of just the nuts and bolts of who's good in this organization and what it means to achieve here and where good guys come from and where they can go. I, I don't think there's been a fight like this in Bellator history. I really don't. And they've had some epic rivalries. We talked about Pitbull and Strauss. They had four different times they went after each other. Dude, this is a special one. This is a special one. My only hope, BC, you know, knocking on wood here. I'm literally doing it. No eye pokes, no groin kicks for fuck's sake. Oh, stop Please, that. win you or lose. Put that out just, there. I'm just saying, win or lose. Let's make sure that the best man wins. That's the only ho- that's my only wish to the MMA gods. Just may the best man win. That's it. Absolutely. And Luke, we're gonna, you know, have a few more days this week to get into the X's and O's, who wins and why, what's this fight is gonna look like. I can't wait to have those chats, Luke. 
So I can't wait to see what the hell this fight looks like, given the styles of both. I want to reiterate one thing, Luke. We have no idea how great AJ McKee actually is. But Pipple is the guy for us to find out. So can't wait for that. Luke, I wanted to get your reaction while we are talking Bellator about the breaking news that the promotion had this week. That October 1st, Bellator returning to the UK, London. I think it's SSE Arena for MVP versus Douglas Lima Part 2. Now, Luke, we're always honest about matchmaking and stuff. I do want to call out our boy, Scotty Cokes. I don't love the rest of this card, this is, but I by the love... Way, this is topic number five, if you want to save it. Uh, well, okay. Or, you know, I didn't know it was topic number five. Luke, I don't, I, we must have different rundowns, Luke. Are, you know, we, we must, work, but you... it is topic. It is, you want to do it? We can just do it now. Go ahead. You, were, you, were, okay, you had something maybe, to say. Maybe, maybe I screwed this up, Luke. It's possible, right? It's okay. Well, we didn't, it, listen, we'll make it a Bellator mega topic. Go ahead. Here we go. Here we go. Uh, October 1st in London, Lima, MVP2. Luke, I was the guy from the beginning saying this was the fight to make. I love this fight. I almost like it more when you consider that, that MVP, who we talk about, not getting any younger, but continues to dominate against a certain level of competition. He's absolutely red hot coming in. And Lima, who I think we both believe is the better fighter, coming off two straight defeats, both in title fights in separate divisions. So, Luke... I was disappointed that this card top to bottom isn't blowing me away, but this main event is A-plus to me, fantastic. I can't wait to see this. I agree with you. If if this was Lima when they first fought, I, I didn't think MVP had much of a shot. I'll still favor Lima to win. That being said, the two losses aren't just like bad. They're concerning. Here's what I mean. Okay, he lost to a guy up a weight class and even began to put it on him late. However, that guy is also a little bit, I think, on the decline, at least relative to his peak. And so you had this sort of languid loss where you couldn't really get going. And yes, the fight against Amosov uh, was, you know, not the most entertaining affair, but it was pretty thorough in terms of the way in which they fought all the way through. And another one where he just didn't have any real sense of urgency to fix anything in part because he probably had a bad weight cut I think along with it he's getting bigger he's getting older dude with those two things if MVP is locked in and you know can avoid the ground for at least some portion of the fight seems to be entirely winnable for him maybe that's blasphemy maybe maybe that's crazy to say I don't I don't know we'll have to see in the end but I'll have to say this I, I'm much more intrigued in this rematch given where MVP has been which you know is more or less where he's kind of always been but the, but the decline of Douglas Lima recently, uh, I think, makes this a lot more competitive and for the yeah. reasons, a lot more you intriguing. You know, it's tough to try to figure out where that decline is, how severe it is. I mean, the Musasi loss, it was just a division up, and he maybe didn't have the right game plan, and he kind of got started a little bit late. But the Amosov loss is eye-opening for a guy who is, you know, entering the, those mid-30s, has been pound for pound relevant and one of those guys that were like you know he's one of the top three four five best guys at his weight class in the world in lima yet that first fight was pretty exciting before the knockout and luke say what you will at times about the competition level of mvp but he's won five in a row since this loss to lima he's been absolutely dominant and we saw you know we were there that week in, in mohegan when he was setting up to face Derek anderson which was going to be a tough test and look he ran right through him so this is an mvp confident peaking knowing that he's you know 34 he's got he's got to make it happen now if he's going to make it happen luke he wins this you got to believe he's getting amasov so this is a this is this is a must-see tv here yeah that's a terrible fight for mvp though 
I mean, Amasov would have his way with him, I think. Well, so. right, but we would have to see MVP do MVP things at a almost reckless level in that fight, right? You'd have to do everything you could to try to discipline Amasov from shooting on you. You'd have to respond with some spinny shit, some jumping shit. You'd have to be that guy who says, I'm going in there to knock him out early. I'm not going to hang around to be on my back for five rounds, Luke. I want to see that version of Michael Venom Page. All right, fair enough. All right, let's, let's move down to topic number three. There is a UFC card this weekend. We'll get to it probably on Friday. But there are some other UFC headlines, namely some of the heavyweights are unhappy. So first things first, one championship put up an Instagram post being like, who should Chatri sign? Uh, Chatri Sityatong, the, the donk who runs it. And Stipe Miocic replied with a thinking emoji and then later wrote, I, I shouldn't have to wait for a winner. I have the most heavyweight title defenses of all time. We're one and one, talking about Francis. But DC got instant rematches and trilogies against me? Question mark. BC, here's where I come down. It's like, I got to tell you, I'm not... I understand his point. I do. Being like, DC got this treatment. I have a better record in this division. Hello, I got two wins over him. Shouldn't I get the same kind of treatment? Well, here's what I would say. DC shouldn't have got that treatment either. There was too many of those accommodations made for him. So it sets a bad precedent where now a guy who is technically more deserving doesn't get them. But I don't want to see a bad... They're constantly fighting the same guys over and over again. I got to be honest. I like that they're rotating in some fresh blood, to be honest with you. Yeah. I mean, you know, the current champion, Stipe's uh, just recently lost to. So... I get the history, I get the name, but like, you know, Francis Ngannou also got absolutely royally screwed, Luke, in the past year and a half, you know, when there should have been an interim title, when he was waiting out the Stipe-DC rivalry to close. So I'm not going to sit here and act like Stipe hasn't been getting given royal treatment. It just almost felt at times, Luke, like UFC's kind of wanted to be done with the Stipe as champion business, but... You know, they, there's been a lot of sins by the promotion in this division, including this new one of this interim title for no freaking reason other than selling tickets in Houston upon this new multi-date deal they just made with the Toyota Center. So, Luke, it's like you could say, okay, so what's the next question? Should it have been Stipe versus Derek for the interim title, Luke? Would that have made everybody happier? No, I, right? No, I don't think so. Yeah. Like, this is what I'm saying. Uh, you know, these guys who've accomplished a lot. Oh, I'm a champion who has five title defenses. I'm, you know, whatever the marker of historical greatness that they've achieved, they want to turn that into like some kind of token that they can themselves resubmit to skip the line. And I think we should be deferential to a degree for any fighter in any weight class who has achieved a lot. Okay. And maybe we haven't been that way enough with Stipe. I, I, there's a debate to be had about it. I think that's fair. But I got to tell you, going right back to Stipe Francis, Francis 3, after you get you got viciously KO'd, it, was it first or second? I think it was second round he got KO'd. He lost badly the first round. You know, I'm, I'm sorry. I just don't see a lot of argument for it. And then you could say, well, he, he got knocked out the first time he fought DC, and then he won two of those in a row. Maybe so. Maybe that, that's true. But um, I, I don't need to see constant rematches. I don't need to see constant trilogies. Getting in some fresh blood seems to me the best way to go about it. And, and maybe uh, Stipe is right to sit out and have his contract extended, uh, up to him. But I, I'm sympathetic to a degree, BC, but not enough to change the matchmaking in the way that he is wishing. 
All right, let me ask you a hard question, Luke. I've been called a Stipe hater at times in my career. I'm no hater here. Was I late to give him his full flowers? Maybe. Is there any part of what Stipe has accomplished that's a bit overrated because of how transient the history of the UFC heavyweight division had been where we hadn't had somebody defend three times in a row before Stipe because Randy Couture was getting stripped or had to give up the belt here and there and because this is a you know heavyweight MMA with four-ounce gloves where knockouts happen and guys lose their spots and, and quickly and while I give Stipe god darn is this guy amazing and have heart and have the will to win and has had these comeback wins and the way that he turned the DC trilogy around I mean all that stuff is great Luke but is it a bit overrated only because heavyweight doesn't have that long history of having a consistent guy? I think there's something to be said for that. I think that's part of it, certainly. Um, you know, and also he doesn't quite have the lead on his peers in a way like Demetrius Johnson did at Flyweight or Anderson or or St. Pierre or John Jones. There's been a little bit more parody along the way. Frankly, if you're asking me who's the most terrifying heavyweight I've ever seen in MMA at their peak, the answer is Cain Velasquez, even though I think obviously Stipe has accomplished significantly more over the course of time. I think that's part of it. But this is the other part, too. It's like, dude, I don't want any fighter to do anything that they're not comfortable with um, in in promoting a fight. Like, if you want to just be the guy that does just enough media, you keep to yourself, you stay grounded, I think there's a lot of benefit mental health-wise to do something like that. I don't in any way judge them for it. But you got to understand how the game is played. Whether you like this fact or whether you don't like this fact, it is a fact. I've said this before, you can pull many levers to get advancements or things you want in the game. And one of those levers you can pull, and to an extent Colby Covington is benefiting from this, is the popularity pull, um, the controversy pull, to what extent you have some kind of idealized uh, character that you wish to play or however you want to describe it. He doesn't really invest in that because he doesn't want to. Again, no judgment. Do what you're comfortable with. But if you get to a spot where you're actually looking for matchmaking favors and you've not invested in that and you're only relying on the resume, which is strong, but again, there's other factors at play, you can't be, a, you can't be all that upset when that lever is not there for you to pull. You, you didn't want it to be there, and so now it's not. Um, I w- this was shocking. Not shocking that Stipe would be upset and would be putting it out there publicly because I'll give him credit. He's always done a good job at knowing his value and being open and honest about certain negotiation bullshits and all that. So that, like, that's fine. I give him this. I'm, I'm down with him doing this at the end of the day, even if we don't agree. Even if we don't, even if we, even if we don't think he has the best point here, I'm down with it. But Luke, is the fight to make Stipe versus John Jones? That that really feels like the pay per view main event fight to make, right? I'd love to see it. I'd love to see it. I think it'd be great. I think it'd be a great test for both guys. So many knowns about both of them, and yet somehow when you pair them, there's all these unknowns. You actually don't know how some of that's going to look and play out and um, even what it would mean necessarily for those reasons. So, yeah, I would love to see that contest. And I'm sure that you know it's probably been uh, something that's been on the table at one time or another, either for John or for Stipe. But you know, these guys have such limited options in terms of what's available to them that... Um, you know, it's either a, a hard yes or a hard no, and, and there's consequences either way. Um, speaking of which, BC, we now go to the other UFC heavyweight that's upset, which is Francis Ngannou. He tweeted this on Monday, quote, It is interesting how we see injustice done to the fighters by some judges. We talk about it, and then we move on from it the next day, 
only to get pissed off again when it happens the next time. The fighter has to go home unrewarded with all that frustration and half their money for a job well done. Something needs to be done for these athletes getting robbed on the scorecards. Hashtag justice for fighters. Your reaction, BC? Not wrong, right? But, you know, my, my, my comeback is always, what are we going to do? Now, you know, in MMA, you have you have a better chance of fixing this than you do boxing, which is the Wild West and, and you know, so many different state san- sanctioning bodies and, and, and state commissions and all that. I want to feel like it can be easily, more easily done in UFC than, again, UFC is just a promotion dealing with the state commissions who are appointing these referees. So... I don't know, Luke. I mean, it, he he's he's talking about it like if a fighter gets screwed and that win could have put them in another financial bracket and some of them may never get the chance to get back to that opportunity. I mean, that sucks. So do you turn that back on the promotion and just say, let's make sure these guys are paid what they're actually worth so none of that really wouldn't matter in the end, Luke? I mean, I'm of this mind where it's like people think that there's no value to complaining. Well... The value can be limited, and especially on social media, it can be super limited. But there is something to be said for it over the course of time, which is, uh, it. In, listen, I don't know that, yeah, I'll say this. I think judging has improved over time. I think there's still a shit ton of problems with it, but it has. it's not as bad as it used to be. And more to the point, it's because of these injustices and the hell that is raised subsequently that there is pressure put on the various stakeholders or the people who have decision making to make some meaningful improvements around it whether it's you know fixing the 10-9 must system in the best way that people can understand it or you know whatever the case may be so there's a value to it but it's like and i and i commend francis for constantly raising issues about fighter pay here here it's one thing to be like well you know how do we fix it but you noted he put like parenthetically and then half their money when they lose as like that that's a real soft spot or I should say a, a point of contention for him understandably I think that is for most people who are paying attention um so I you know I'm of two minds I think on the one hand he's right to raise these issues I think over the course of time the you know there's an accumulative impact however in the short run just tweeting about it it's like I don't well, know you- what this is supposed to get you well, you brought up a great point about the, the UFC pay structure from the standpoint that you get the show and you get the win. You know, you don't see that in boxing, and there's times when you're like, oh, that fighter decided mid-fight they didn't really have a great chance to win, so they packed it in because guess what? They're still getting paid. We like, as fans, the urgency that the UFC pay structure gives in that, you know, you got to go balls out to try to win it. And that's the same reason why people think open scoring could fix some of the judging issues because even though it's still that judge's perspective, at least the fighters would know what they're up against. How bad do you think the fallout would be if you got rid of the win bonus? Now, I like the win bonus, but that's me being a greedy fan, Luke. You know what I mean? We see so many times that sometimes even quasi-elite level fighters can barely afford, you know, training camps and top... Uh, top uh, you know, if, if Void uh, can barely afford to do it at this level, what do you think the negative fallout would be to eliminate the win bonus and instead having a heftier show? Uh, I tend to think that people misunderstand this a little bit uh, on both sides. People think that, like, oh, if you... Uh, I mean, listen, the argument... And the truth is, they, we should do away with the difference. I, I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not a supporter of it. Um 
the reason why is because the UFC tries to exert influence over their fighters in any number of ways, either before the fights, through contract negotiations, about which fights they take, and blah, 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 and, and when, and who they say yes to, and what it all means, and what kind of relationship you have with the organization, and the matchmakers, and how exciting your fights are. There's all kinds of ways in which there's this pressure that's exerted on them to perform. The breaking up of the purses is probably a, somewhat of a cost-saving measure, but also it's just part of that larger effort of exerting influence. In other words, if you pulled it out, there would still be many other factors upon which they would be under pressure to perform or take fights that they don't want to take or whatever the case may be. And some of that can be good. By the way, we talked about it before. Fighters are going to say no to fights that maybe they should take. It would be good for, the, good for the consumer. It would be good for the sport, but maybe not necessarily in their interest or in the interest at that time. Um, so I'm in favor of it. I'm in favor of the idea of removing it and then giving them much larger upfront purses. The only thing I would say is, while I don't think that would meaningfully um, uh, change the way fights go, I don't think someone's necessarily going to fight any less hard because there are consequences, pretty devastating ones, to professional losses. But at the same time, I also think folks should recognize you can remove this situation about show and win. UFC is still going to find a lot of different ways to lean on these guys to do things that they wouldn't necessarily upfront sign up for it's, it's part of creating a culture of expectation from them sam alvey's like the chief example of this where he was arguing against fighter unions and he was arguing that the reebok pay was you know a little bit lower but i'm really happy with it like just completely compliant with whatever is handed his way um the pay is part of that but it's you know you can fix that there's still going to be many other influences that are that are working uh, for ufc's interests Luke, we've had a lot of talk, really, since you and I have been doing shows together because it's a recurring topic about how to fix scoring in both combat sports. And you mentioned, you know, do we change the 10-9 muscle system in MMA? Do we do half points? You know, there's so many ideas around the board. I'm really starting to believe that the easiest way to curb atrocious judging and even in boxing the sometimes... Um, negative stereotype which i don't necessarily disagree with that that certain judges are getting paid off i mean look we see enough egregious judging and boxing that that that's got to be your first thought what if we just did five judges and you took away the 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 uh the outlier scores and just stuck with the three i know it's not the first time somebody's said that but the more i think about it luke wouldn't that remove a large amount of these egregious results if you just got rid of those r potential rogue scorecards in either direction and stuck more with the middle majority isn't that the easiest fix and if you say well you got to pay more judges dude have you seen what ufc judges get paid for the biggest fights even compared to boxing remember you and i saw that tweet where it was like the the judges in the uh mcgregor fight where you know the mcgregor poirier trilogy were getting like four thousand. where the judges in the uh I don't know if it was Wilder, Fury, whatever big boxing fight recently, we're getting like, you know, 15, 18,000. Um, it's really not that much money to pay two more judges, Luke. Whether you have, you know, one do it in the back room, one on a TV screen, I don't care, one in the upper deck of the arena. Isn't that the way to fix it, dude? Getting rid of the people that are either incompetent, have a bad night, or are obviously either on the take or hoping that by scoring it for a certain fighter, they can continue to get jobs, which I think is the bigger problem in boxing even more than the idea of just here's some illegal cash. I think it's the idea that if I keep backing the money fighter, I'll keep getting called back. That fixes it, Luke. Tell me I'm wrong. That does fix it. 
Uh, I think that a lot of people have ideas about how to fix judging that are kind of like, hey, can we put more duct tape on this jalopy rather than just getting rid of the used car and getting a new one? Here's what I would say. Two, two responses I would have to that, BC. First, personal preference, but I think the evidence bears out that uh, when you judge a fight as a whole with competent judges, you get better results over time. That's a personal preference rather than going round by round. The thing I would say to justify that, or in really any change, whatever whatever direction we would go to, this is my sort of standard answer that I give, it's that, is what you're suggesting, does it sound plausible to me? Yes, it does. It sounds very plausible to me. But I think that what we need is the UFC, particularly in places where they self-regulate, we need somebody, or at least your regional promotions, to experiment. Give us what, show us what it looks like in, in actuality with data over the course of like a year or two or five when you have five judges and then you get rid of the best and the worst car. Well, not the best and the worst, but the two outliers. And then you stick with the middle three. What happens when you do that? Does it actually get you better results? And the truth may be you get like dramatically better results. Or it could be you just continue to get bullshit along the way. It doesn't really fix it. What I'm pointing out is before we make any change to any other system, we need to have data about what it looks like when you implement it. And I think the only way well, to get there is for regional promotions to try or for UFC to experiment in places where they self-regulate. And okay, we don't I mean, have enough a- of that. That's a nice idea and a nice plan, but Luke, fuck your data. Let's be honest about this. <laughs> Castanio Charlo, fun as balls to watch. Showtime, yeah, go Showtime. I hope we see it again, Luke. But be honest with me. That is the type of result with that one rogue scorecard that makes fans on the fence not want to come back. Am I wrong? I don't know. Like, if this is controversial to Showtime, I'm not. I'm not worried about it. Am I wrong? Doesn't that a scorecard like that? When it becomes the narrative exiting a fight, it makes people not want to watch the sport that are on the fence anymore, right? Correct? I, th- I think there's something to be said for that, but you are making the supposition that if you had five, you'd have fewer rogue scorecards, and what you might actually get is just more. You don't actually know. You don't actually know. That's, that's the problem. I just feel here. like if we had five, like how many, I mean, can you find two humans that would score that one? 117, 111 for Charlo. No, I don't think you could. So we wouldn't even be you talking picked, about picked, that shit. They picked shit three and they got card. one. Why would it be any different? Probability, numbers-wise. I, I just think we wouldn't be talking about Nelson Vasquez or whatever the hell the guy's name was. We wouldn't be talking about Adelaide Bird, right? We could just see it. We would be talking about who won the fight and who deserved it. I'm just saying, outside of ripping up the whole system, which you are right, is probably the right way to do it. This is the Band-Aid that I think would work best. But that's just some guy named BC who's half well, crazy talking. The, the, okay, one, the one good thing about your idea, BC, is you could actually implement it without implementing it. And here's what I mean. You don't have to change any rules. Like, so, for example, uh, New Jersey State Athletic Control Board decided what would happen if we just kept scoring fights according to the rules, but then as like a project, just to see what numbers we come up with, let's have judges in the back uh, who have like, you know, a soundproof booth who are watching multiple screens and they can't hear the crowd and they're actually not looking with their eyes at the cage. They're looking at an actual viewing monitor. What kind of results do you get there? So what I mean to say is they could just do what you're doing. The, the three judges that you picked to score, those are the scores you go with. But what would happen if, as a pilot program, we asked two more judges to, to score each of those fights, and then let's pretend that we could throw out the results of the outliers? Would that get us to a place that gives us better uh, results? The great news about your suggestion is you couldn't implement it right away, but you could develop the data that I'm talking about that either shows this works or it doesn't without having to change a thing in the short term. I actually think it's something worth considering. Yeah, let's do it. 
Let's do Let's it. Let's do Luke. it. Let's okay. fucking do it, guy. Okay. Right. I don't Last need any data. I don't need proof to believe things, Luke. I think we've established that already. And that's why you believe a lot of silly ass shit. All right, so let's go to the last, but certainly not the least topic, BC. Conor McGregor, dude, I don't know what the fuck he is doing these days. Um, he put out a couple of tweets. I think we have them on the screen here. Can we show them on the screen here, please? I'm not one of these guys who's typically like, hey, we need to tone police. I'm not calling for him to be cut or fined or uh, what would that even accomplish? You know, it's, it's really not about that. It's just about like as a community. You know, MMA is a place where there's a lot of people who are morally warped and demented. I'm not suggesting that McGregor is that way, but there are just a lot of people who have, you know, total moral relativism when it comes to any kind of thing about what's a good idea, what's a bad idea, what's a good thing to do, what's a bad thing to do. They they will simply not exercise any judgment in that way. Now, this one is not that big of a deal to me at all. In fact, I don't think it's even remotely controversial. Jumping on a guillotine is not a takedown. That's true. Absorbing the kick into the leg is not a check. True. A doctor stoppage is not a TKO. That's false. It is. The game goes on, bitches. Pissants to me use all R. Not even peasants. <laughs> Pissants. Now get to your stationed vlogger cameras, you novice bums. Nobodies. That's one tweet. Fine. He's just, you know, he's lashing out. No big deal. I don't really have any issue with that. But show us the one he sent in reference to Habib. Now, Habib kind of trolled everyone, including Connor, after Dustin Poirier beat him the third time. And he said, you know, uh, congratulations to Dustin Poirier. Khabib did good, always defeats evil. Connor put this tweet up. COVID is good and father is evil. Now, he deleted it about 20 minutes later. BC, I've seen some foul shit in the game. Yeah. That's, that's right up there with the top of it where you're taunting another man about the tragic death of his father. Wow, dude. And again, again, Habib was, you know, stoking the flames himself a little bit and has had some worldviews that I don't agree with at all. But this was low, dude. This was very dude, like, low. So, look, do I tolerate trash talking and the fight game more than a lot of people? Yeah. Like, I, I almost want it to be grimy. We've already had these talks. You know, I want, I want it to feel real. Like, well, dude, at the end of the day, you want it to feel real. It's a real fight, yes, but the, sometimes it's a... Instead of a fight, Luke, it's a match, meaning there's two athletes that are going in there to win the match, but it's not a fight. What what makes us the most excited when it's a fight, when it's like, I fucking hate that, bro. So, yeah, there's times when I tolerate some absolute bullshit because I'm like, you know what? It fuels the fight. But don't forget the asterisk I always put out there, Luke. There is a line. And like, you know, people often say about pornography, Luke, you, you know it when you see it. And I knew it when I saw this one. This went over the line. It's it's just, it's decrepit. It's it's morally bankrupt. If he's playing a character, it sucks. If he's just trying to fire himself up, I mean, it's it's it's. I mean, there's a guy who's retired. I, I get that it's re- in response to Habib's original tweet, but like, here's what here's where I think. Look, if I could play armchair psychologist, dude, isn't he? Let me, let me, don't, I'm not interrupting. I just want to interject in just a minute. I'll let go. It just feels to me like BC, true or false, he's still in the Habib pre-fight presser mode. He never left it. Well, here's my, not fear for him, but my understanding of where he might be at this age. So I praised Conor for fighting uh, rabidly, right? For fighting desperate, right? Because I feel like at this age, with his skills slipping a bit and with him maybe not having fully evolved... Fighting recklessly is kind of the best way to keep his brand strong and have the best chance at winning fights against more complete fighters. So I liked his fighting spirit. 
There is obviously a problem with fighting desperate, though, Luke, is that usually it's fueled by desperation. So I'm, of course, fearful for McGregor here that he's in a mode where it supports your points more, where he doesn't actually want to do this anymore, but feels like he has to to keep the brand going, to keep making the paydays, to try to add to his legacy or repair it any way he can. And the only way he feels like he has any chance of getting himself back to that level is through stoking these fires of, of, of hatred and, and dark trash talk. And in reality, Luke, I mean, he's doing this to a guy who's obviously retired. So it, it just looks sad in a reach. And that's really my biggest fear for him, Luke, because if you think about it, you know, we talk about what could make a good potential comeback opponent for him. I got to be honest, a lot of these probably don't motivate him at all. He'd be motivated for the title if you told him he could fight for it tomorrow. But Conor McGregor doesn't want to climb a ladder. We all know that. So I think he kind of just needs to keep feeling like he's in a blood war with somebody because he knows in his heart, Luke, that guy may not be there anymore. And, you know, he, he came as close as he can to bringing that guy back in the second and third Poirier fights to, to decent levels of success in round two in the second fight against Poirier. And, you know decent levels of success in this round that Poirier won in the third fight and got 10-8 scores on two scorecards, but McGregor was in that fight, so to speak. But Luke, I feel like this really tells the tale of what you're saying, that that the, the ghost is gone, and, and he knows it, but he doesn't want to admit it. And the only way he feels like he can get that guy back out is by continuing these, you know, fight-to-the-death ideas in his head against the guys he feels like are his true rivals. Only at this point, Luke, the sad part is I don't think anyone really looks at him like that anymore. You know, they look at him as the the money man who's on the other side of the hill grasping at straws to try to find, you know, something. And that's where the problem with cheering on a guy for fighting desperate, which I did, is that underneath that desperate fighting style is desperation. And I think that's where he's at, Luke. And it is sad to see. And it is over the line. And it is petty and ridiculous. And uh, I would like, while he's rehabbing, for him to go away for a while. He does, his brand doesn't need, and we don't need, him on a scooter doing a live vlog, right? Going around a neighborhood. Like, dude, do that shit in private, okay? You do have a brand to protect here. And that ain't it, and this ain't it either. So uh, unplug for a while. Figure out who you really are. Figure out what's left. Because all this shit is doing... You think it's making you the villain, but it's the wrong lane. It's the wrong angle. It's, it's making him look like a buffoon, Luke. So uh, it's not working, bro. Well, you know dude, I love the is, guy. We love the guy, but it's not working. So I don't love this shit. Yeah, I mean, you know what's interesting is, is that people always say, oh, well, Connor used to be funnier. But like, think about what that means. Like, If something is funny in general, there are obviously exceptions to that. But in general, it's because it's a little bit lighter. Right, like you know, when Jeremy Stevens is like, you know, uh, I, I'm the guy to fight Connor, and then Connor turns around and is like, who the fuck is that guy? There's a certain lightness to it. It's mean and it's insulting, but it, there's a certain lightness to it that goes along with it. It's just with this shit, it's there's no lightness to it at all. It's just heavy and dark and sinister. And like you know, you got to ask yourself, man, you're mocking a guy for having his father die. I mean, something's a little off with you if that is like acceptable territory. I mean, to who's you. Again, cheering that on? Look, who is seeing yeah, that tweet exactly. going, like, who's yeah, the, I mean, There are some deranged people on social media, but that's always the case. In general, no one I really know, certainly no one whose opinion I respect, 
would ever look at that and be like, yeah, dude, he got him. You know, you'd be like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? Like, th- this is this is not even effective trash talk. It's dark and it's at the bleeding edge of what is even possible at this point. But it's not effective in any kind of way. You think Khabib is going to like come back out of retirement for this? I mean, he might be pissed about it, but he's not going to. It's not going to get you any closer to your goals. So, you know, for me, it's like, dude, he just seems to be stuck in. For me, this is what I picked up on BC, and those last I'll say about it. He seems to be a little bit stuck in the mode he was in for that Habib presser at Radio City Music Hall when there were no fans. Yeah. It was just him and Khabib. And this whole, I just wonder, it's like we ask these fighters, and it's not fair to Conor McGregor or anybody else, we ask these fighters to be something sometimes they're not. And I don't know if that version he showed in the Cerrone and the second Poirier fight, I don't know if those are real. I, I don't know. I don't know what those were. Maybe it's a part of them. Maybe it's not. Maybe it was all an act. But the only thing I can ask of Connor and of anyone is, dude, just be who you are. But I would say if this is who you are, you should reflect on that because this is, first of all, it's dangerous in terms of the places it could go. It's not becoming of him. It doesn't get him any closer to his goals. And in the meantime, Jesus, man, like what kind of, what kind of trail of sorrow are you trying to sow here? I don't. I don't understand what even the goal would be with something like this. It's just it's just insanely, insanely dark and mean for the purposes of being insanely dark and mean. That means it's an audience of one that really gets off on it. Yeah, well, the only goal is to try to get Habib back into a fight because I think Connor feels like that's the quickest way to try to repair everything he's lost of late and the only way to get himself super fired up, again, is to try to get in some kind of blood war. But the war's over. Okay, like seriously. So, Luke, do you retroactively look at look at 2018 when Connor came back with the dolly in Brooklyn and then, you know, had the ridiculous press conference and all the dark shit leading into the fight at 229? Do you think he knew in his heart that Habib was somebody who, you know, had a one up on him in the cage potentially, but in his in his heart he was like, "Man, I, I got to break this guy. I got to put fear in him. The only way I can is to just go batshit crazy." And that's why he showed up with the dolly. It's like the the when when Habib cornered um Artem Lobov, which is really like the the, the what, the spark that got Connor on the plane to arrive in Brooklyn. I wonder if Connor was like, "Oh good, now I've got a reason, right? I can go crazy. It's like I can go Cassius Clay on Sonny Liston here and try to scare him into believing I'm, you know, I'm crazier than anyone he's ever met." But uh Bro, then you fought and and you lost and you lost one sided. So it's over. I I, it's over. I don't know that he, I don't think Connor's really afraid of anybody. He might be afraid of certain things like outcomes or looking a certain way or something like that. Like when he punched that old dude in the head and then went on that like seemingly totally phony apology tour uh, afterwards. Um, you know, he was afraid of losing his fan base. I think uh, with something like that. But I don't think he was afraid of it. What I will say though is. And again, we're just, you know, we're, we're speculating here for what that's worth. Probably not much. But I'll say I do think that he recognized Habib had real advantages in ways that win MMA fights. And so he just wanted to show maximum aggression against that at all times as like a way of showing I'm not backing down from that. You know, so I don't think it was fear. I think it was, in fact, the opposite. But it was something. It was compensating for something. It was compensating yeah. for some acknowledgement that Habib had something that he didn't. So let me show you max aggression as a way to sort of counteract that. But in the end, it right, doesn't really try get to you get you, you off either. your game and fight me emotionally and fight me on the feet, which, as we saw in round two, Luke Habib did, and he dropped him. So uh, it's it's look, dude. Either way, what I said stands. Like, go away for a while, bro. Go figure yourself out. So then you can come back and figure out 
what's left of you, where your brand's at, who you want to fight if you do, you know, but this ain't it. So, uh, Luke, I, can we have a new topic five since I screwed the pooch earlier on Bellator? And Please, throw go in ahead. Th this unfortunate Tatiana Suarez news, the yeah. unbeaten former UFC strawweight who was supposed to be moving up to, f to flyweight at UFC 266 to take on Roxanne Modafari. Luke, we were very much looking forward to this fight. I, this is the International Fight Week card in Vegas, correct? Correct. That's it. Mm-hmm. And now Suarez is out of this fight, and what we're finding out, Luke, is it's a serious knee injury that needs surgery. And Luke, uh, I'm getting Dominic Cruz vibes here. And I don't know if Suarez, you know, is ever historically ability-wise going to be or, or ever was going to be on the level of Cruz, but just the idea that every time she gets close to coming back, another setback happens. It's Cain Velasquez-like. Either way, it's heartbreaking as shit for somebody who's unbeaten, tough as nails, and may have that type of style with her wrestling advantage to give anyone trouble across the 115 or 125 divisions. And now we got to wait, Luke. It sucks to see, man. It really does. And it, it does. went beyond a selfish suck to see because I want to see how good she actually is to, man, it can't be easy to go through for the person. So I'm disappointed with this. I'm really sad, Luke. I think that's a fair point, and she put out a big message on social media. She's she's obviously devastated by this news, and you could understand that. It's just the worst. Uh, the only takeaway I have, aside from the obvious, like we all feel bad for her, is one, she does plan to still get back to it, so I admire her tenacity uh, and perseverance, and I really hope she does, and um, we'll see how things go. The second thing I'd say, though, is BC, you kind of pointed out something that, that really occurred to me, which is, Yes, situations like hers are going to be rare. She had this rare cancer or neck injury and this, but I've seen enough of MMA to know, A, generally, the injury load is significant, and B, we are going to have to wrap our heads around the fact that there are probably going to be multiple situations by the time our careers are over where we're going to have witnessed A-plus athletes or you know guys and girls who were just ready to take over the sport by storm or did and then couldn't finish it by virtue of injury. We don't talk about it, but Cain Velasquez is one of those types of guys. He just had repeated, repeated injuries um, and, and multiple surgeries that kind of derailed him and Dominic Cruz's feet issues. And now Tatiana Suarez is dealing with this and she won't be the only one. Dude, injuries are going to derail a lot more athletes in MMA than injuries will derail athletes in boxing. And that's unfortunate, but it's a fact. Wow. Yeah, uh, I hate to see this. This card is deep. It's going to be a good card. Uh, come, as they return to Vegas. I don't know why they're pushing IFW out into September, though. What the hell is that? Yeah, usually it's July. I don't know what the deal is with that one, but we'll see. By the way, BC, I want to remind folks that you and I are finalists for the sports category of the People's Choice Podcast Awards. Of course, we appreciate all you guys do for us, and we hope you enjoy our show enough to nominate us to advance to the final round. To do so, nominate Morning Combat, go to podcastawards.com slash app slash sign up and then toggle down to the sports category. I mean, could voting be harder? Could they, could they make it worse? We've included the link at the top of the episode description as well. So go, you can see the link up there. I think it's in the description box. Either way, thank you for those who have voted, and if you haven't, please consider doing so. All right, BC, thank let's you. do your thank dumb you. part of the show. Yeah, hey, let's go to the dumb part. Hey, look, I, I stand by that I love doing this segment, Luke. If the people don't like it, they can tell us. But I hope that you don't like it, because that's why it's designed. Every Wednesday, we pick out 10 categories Five questions and five spins of the wheel. Good faith responses to decently faith questions. It's called the Wheel of Death. Bump, bada, bump, 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 bump. 
All I'm right, hungry. Luke, your 10 categories this week. You must answer them. I'm sorry. That's the way this sport works. Uh, Deja pay-per-view. Male journalists with chick names. John Nash's tax <laughs> returns. Muzak for your Balzac. Beast of a comic. RSD THC levels. Inside the MK. More of an Antonina guy. Oh, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Coaches who date their fighters. And step one, open the box. Luke, spin that shit. You get what you get. Mm. Hey, Deja pay-per-view. Hey, Luke, every era of MMA under the UFC banner has had its share of pay-per-view headliners who became the face of the sport during their time on top. But if you could go back into a time machine and grab one fighter throughout USC history whose fighting prime ended before the year 2010 and have them come of age as a top-line draw in 2021, which fighter would you want to see compete at the highest pay-per-view levels in the sport today? And which three fights would you most like to immediately make with them? Now, when you say pre-2010, that means they have to have stopped fighting pre-2010? Yeah, you know, I mean, you might have a couple fights after the turn of the, the decade there, but basically their prime was before 2010. So, you know, like pre-UFC 100, right? Okay. I'll say uh, Frank Shamrock is an obvious one. Um, so you'd have him back today as what, a, a lightweight? Or what, what, wait, wait, what was he? I think he'd be like, I'm not sure what he fought Henzo at, but he, I think he'd be like middleweight, 185, something like that, because he fought 199. But the reason why I question is because they had different names for the weight classes that they've actually yeah. changed. Yeah. Um, um, God, pre 2010. I'm trying to think, like USC 100 and before. Some of those guys are still around, man. They really are. Um, you know, I mean, Lesnar would Liddell, kind of be an interesting Luke? choice. Huh? Chuck Liddell's out there. Yes, he's out there as well. Though that guy was, he was hitting up bare knuckle. Do you see that? Yeah, he said if they pay him enough, he would be willing to fight in BKFC. Please, God, don't let that happen for the love of Jesus. Um, I would go with. You know what I would go with? Uh, so not maybe not the best choice, but the one that I think would be like the funnest because I think he could actually hold his own and adapt. I'll go Rich Franklin. I think prime Rich Franklin. I mean, he got overshadowed by Anderson, but like. I don't think folks understand how good Prime Anderson was. I mean, some folks do, obviously. But uh, if you lived through it, you know, he was just a fucking demolition man. But, dude, before that, Rich Franklin was fucking people. Rich Franklin changed David Loazzo permanently. You know, and he beat the shit out of Evan Tanner. Like, he did. He was a very good fighter. Uh, I remember, though, he, he busted up Edwin Deweese, too. Like, dude, Rich Franklin was good. He was really good. Uh, I would go him. And the three fights I would pick, Rockhold, I'd go, um, ooh. do they have to be UFC fighters? Uh, that was the spirit of the question, but if you've got an okay. alternate answer, I'll accept it, Luke. Um, I mean, if you could take Prime Fedor and drop him into the UFC heavyweight division today, that'd be fun. That's a good choice. That's a better choice than mine, but I'm going to stick with what I got. I'm going to say Rich Franklin versus Rockhold. I'll do Franklin versus, just to see how it goes, I, I, he would win, but I'd like to be curious against Adesanya. 
Um, Adesanya would win, obviously. And then I'll go against... How about... Um, that's a tough one. Weidman. Weidman. I'd be curious to see that one as well. These don't sound like pay-per-view blockbusters, Luke. What about a prime BJ Penn? <laughs> at light, like a prime lightweight That's a better BJ choice than Penn. mine, too, yeah. If you parachute him into today's game... Knowing, you know, with his badass style and in hope that he could adjust to today's pace and style. And I do realize that he was just recently active and probably still fighting in parking lots, Luke, unfortunately. But, uh, I mean, that'd be fun as shit to see him against today's guys. Yes, him versus, uh, man, well, that's a tough, that's a tough thing to do. But, like, Tony, um, Tony, yeah, Connor be kind of interesting as well. Yeah. Um, because folks forget. Prime BJ had very good striking and a hard punch. He was a devastating puncher at the time. How about um, that takedown oh, defense too, Luke? Okay, an un, un, unstoppable takedown defense in his prime. Also, you could go Matt Hughes. I still think Matt Hughes. You know, his game's a little basic, but he could make it work. I think in certain ways. Um, but yeah, the, 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 your choices were all better than mine. I, I had very shitty answers. All right, Luke. Let's see if this trend continues. Spin number two coming your way. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Muzak for your Balzac. Wow, these are really, these are great questions. Hey, Luke, it's interesting to consider how much the music choices of our parents in our formative years end up playing a role in the type of music we listen to now as adults. For example, my dad was the kind of dad who had music playing in the background of everything we did, from driving in the car to eating dinner to having friends over. And although my pops and I have much different taste in music today for the most part he prefers traditional blues and pop rock to my more jazz fusion jam band and progressive rock tastes the tapes and records which he played in my early years without question luke they built the foundation of what i listen to today everything from van halen and guns and roses to cat stevens hank williams jr willie nelson on and on they those things filled my eardrums at a very young age and that brings me to you luke because i'm curious because you aggressively have one of the most questionable music palettes that I've seen for somebody mm. outside of angry teenagers. I mean, you got, wearing, you got, you got balls talking about that when I've heard the shit in your, in your wearing at the trench mobile. coats, Luke, you know, you have the musical palette of a, of a future school shooter. So, so that I can better understand who you are and how you got here. Name for me, the five albums that were most played during your youth by either of your parents that may have, you know, prepared you for the music you like today. Okay, well, you can write off my dad because he doesn't listen to music that way. He'll listen to opera or, you know, classical composers, but nothing even within the last couple of centuries, basically. So he's out. Um, if you're talking about studio albums, even then it's a little hard, but I would say 
from my mom, Allison Krauss, Every Time You Say Goodbye would be oh, one. That's some, some good shit, yeah. Um, I don't know which albums, but my mom was a huge Ricky Skaggs fan, like Bluegrass, you know? Okay, okay, I'm into this, Luke. I, so I we'll can go, respect we'll this. We'll go, uh, you know, something around like the early 80s, early 90s would be big for him. I would say on top of that, who else does she really like besides that? She liked, um, those are two big ones. Uh, she liked Dolly Parton from the 80s. She liked, um, oh, God, hold on. Let me look it up real quick. Uh, I'll tell you exactly who it was. Uh, it was in, My mom was big into country. And, hold on. And we, okay, here we go. Uh, she liked uh, Dave Mason. Yeah, um, I've... I'm a big Dave Mason fan. I bought all of his vinyl, Luke. He's former, yeah. formerly of Traffic, and he, he, had a, he had an adult contemporary solo career. I love that guy. Yeah, so, so those are three or four at this point. What's another one she really Oh, she liked George Strait. She was a big George Strait fan. Okay. Luke, um, this, is, this is not awful uh, in terms of informing your musical senses. I thought you would be like, oh, she liked bread and all these other pop you know bubblegum bullshit no, no she, she likes some decent shit so what happened to you luke that's the question i evolved and elevated all right well luke we're over <laughs> two so far on uh have you on uh have you spun this wheel so let's keep it going <laughs> Woo! all right just don't ruin the show what do we got here all right, inside the MK. Hey, Luke, from day one, you've said something about this show that has always stuck with me. You said you and I can take a day off here or there or go on vacation and we can welcome in any number of replacements that we love dearly as people from Minden Hall to Rashad Evans. But that's not MK. It's a great show, but it's not BC and LT. BC and LT are MK and will always be. And Luke, I respect that and largely believe it to be true. But as we have already identified from a tip-to-tip tip segment earlier this year on a previous episode, I'm a monster fan of that four-part Inside the NBA doc that TNT did for the show's 30th anniversary. Mm-hmm. A big part of that doc showed the risk that they took in taking that classic three-man lineup of Ernie, Jet, and Charles Barkley and dropping in such a dominant fourth personality in Shaquille O'Neal. Luke, the chemistry was anything but instant off the start. Yet over time, obviously, Shaq has added a very incredible dynamic to what makes their show great. So let's say, Luke, the big suits at CBS and Showtime came to us and said, guys, we love the shit out of MK. In fact, we want it to grow even bigger than you possibly do. We want to make it a daily show, put it on TV, Put it in a studio. We want to fulfill all your dreams. We want to be on after the fights. We want, we want to be there, okay? But we feel like to make this financial investment, we need a third person on set, particularly an ex-fighter, to really justify what we're doing here. And Luke, let's say for the sake of argument, and we both love working for him, but let's say, working with him, let's say Sugar Rashad wasn't available and he couldn't make the move to do this every day and all that shit. But Luke, what if, what if I come CBS said, Luke, this is the way we're going. We're investing money in you. We got to add a third. But here's the hook. We will let you, Luke Thomas, because of your producer credit, choose the fighter to add to MK and make it a three-man dance. So, Luke, be sure to keep in mind chemistry, the size of the fighter's platform from the standpoint of marketing the show, 
and how potentially funny this third person could be and how they would mix with us. Which fighter, current, active, retired, whatever, would you pick to round out the new Morning Combat Trio? Uh, that's a great question because Shaq is so unique. Um, and that was a tough thing to do. They, I feel like they cast that perfectly. You know, Shaq's a big goofball. You know what I mean? Um, he pokes fun at himself, wh- which is yeah. key. You know, he's a commercial whore, but uh, he's a goofball. But but obviously, he's one of the most decorated a big men that ever played the game, and really one of the most decorated players that ever played the game. You know, um, man, that is a tough. Wow, that's a tough call. Here's the problem. It's like, and you know this too, BC. When you cover a fighter in the middle of their career, a lot of times you're seeing them on fight week when they're cutting weight. They're very serious. You know, they, they keep a professional distance between you and themselves and everything else. I would need someone who I think could be funny, who could laugh at themselves, who likes to have a good time, but could also provide like trenchant analysis about the fights and really you know, bring a perspective and, you know, would be willing to argue. That's the other part, too. Like, here's one thing that you know as well as I do. A lot of times what they'll do is they'll pair, like, a journalist, and then they'll pair an athlete. And the athlete always kind of polices the journalist's opinions, whether the opinion is good or bad, because you didn't do it. And it's like, well, that, there's, a, there's a value to, like, Are you like, talking about Josh that. Thompson right now, Luke, by any chance? No, 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 no. This has happened to me a million times, dude. And Josh actually gives me a lot of leeway. I, I, in fact, I feel quite the opposite. But um, it, it just happens all the time with all different kinds of pairs. You might laugh at this because it's so recent, but I I can't. I'm trying to think of somebody who's like who can capture the goofy and the serious, who we would get along with. I'll go Israel Adesanya. I think we could do a great wow. show with him. I think we oh, could do a great dude, show that's, with him. That is interesting because he's he might be weird. No, all due respect, he might be weirder than we are. Seriously, yes, he's a little bit weirder than we are, but he obviously knows the game. Hello. And B, I think he enjoys a good laugh. Plus, he's younger than us, so he's going to have a slightly different vibe than two old fucks like us. Because I think if you just bring in a third 40-year-old white guy, I'm not sure what that gets you. I also think, BC, you know what would be another good choice? Angela Hill would be a good choice. She likes to have a good time. She knows the fight game. She's sneaky, too, Luke. Yeah, She's a little bit sneaky. She's a little bit sneaky. That's true. Um that's. I think you could. I think like you. It, I mean, it has to be somebody said, Luke, a little bit different than us. You but try like, to add a female. I, I cut you off there really badly, Luke. If you add a female to what we do here, you're asking for HR issues. All right. Probably, but unless unless they have a good attitude about things, and I think she would have a good attitude. You know. Those are some interesting picks, Luke. That would because uh, you know that was a gamble bringing in Shaq, but it worked. Uh, who knows, Luke? If one day you and I, you know. I mean, people. Our chat, according to our producer Mikey, is saying Darren Till is the choice. Luke, I think we'd have a hard time understanding what he's saying. <laughs> what he's saying, <laughs> his his accent, his that Scouse accent is thick. All right, hey, two more spins, and then we can stop doing this. Let's keep it going. Come on, Latina big booties. It, it never ends up on that. I, I have a feeling more of an Antonina guy. Are you fucking serious? Luke, let's face it, it can't be easy for UFC women's strawweight Antonina Shevchenko to essentially live in the shadow, fighting in the same division of her younger sister. Can you hear my daughter singing Moana out there? No, 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 I can't. can't. Because she is. Let's point that out. 
if she wants to join the show, I, I'm welcome. If she wants to be our third, I'm, I'm down with it. Uh, Luke, obviously, Antonina's a, a, a good fighter, but kind of lives in the shadow in the same division of her younger sister, Valentina. But despite both being sneaky hot, Luke, the Shevchenkos are far from the first sibling combo to have success at a high level in elite MMA. But if we're being honest, very few sibling combos end up like the Diaz brothers, where Nick and Nate at different times have sort of alternated historically in terms of who's the better fighter overall or who has the better resume. Uh, you can certainly argue that Nate has you know, surpassed Nick in some ways in uh, all that. Normally, Luke, in MMA history, we're more used to things like you got Shogun Hua up here and Ninja Hua way down here or the great Rashad Evans here. And, oh, remember that time his Lance, his brother Lance was on tough, right? No, you don't. Like we, That's normally where we're at. So sometimes the gap between siblings is way far off. So with the exception of the Diaz's, Luke, who are essentially standard bearers in this topic, and it, with the exception of the Shamrocks, who aren't natural brothers and were both adopted, I want to ask you to create a top five pound-for-pound list encompassing the history of MMA, counting down the best fighters of all time who weren't the best fighters in their own family. So these are B-side siblings who are the five greatest with the exception of the Diaz's and the Shamrocks in MMA history. Okay, so I'll just say some names. I don't know if they're going to be the best ones, but you have Antonina Shevchenko, obviously, in the name of the question. That's one. She's not making the top five, Luke. She's not making it. I'm sorry. She's uh, not. What about, what about uh, Little Nog? He goes on that list, right? Little Nog, hell yeah. He's in this list, yep. Uh, he, I don't think he fought very much, but you could, at least on the list somewhere, would be Mark Hughes, the twin of Matt, or the brother anyway. I think they're twins. Um, hey, how so about Sergio Pettis, bro? All right? Yeah, Sergio Pettis would be on that list for sure. Although, you know, he's coming to his own. He might. I mean, he's still young, dude. He might surpass Anthony. It's possible. We'll have to see how things go. But for sure, Little Nog and then Pettis uh, would be two big ones. Um, you mentioned... Uh yeah, the Lance. Um I'm trying to think who are some other brother sister tandems that both fought that were pretty good. Uh oh, you know what? Um I'm not sure who was better, but you could add I think Karina Dam you could add to the list. Her brother Rodrigo was probably better than her. So you could add her to the list. I don't think she they're was... making the top 5, Luke. I think you're forgetting about too many people. Well, you you said I couldn't count the Shamrocks, right? I couldn't count Right. Right. Either of them. Who else? Who else was off limits? Uh, the Diaz's, because that was Diaz's the example of, yes. of yeah. So, all right, who am I forgetting? Patricky Pitbull, Luke. He, oh, ain't, he don't. He don't suck. Yeah, he's good. He's good. Yep. Who else? Um. The other Ellenberger? No. Um. Yeah, there were two Ellenbergers, Joe and Jake. Um, Jake was the better of the two, so Joe would be on that list. Um, yeah, there's been a few. There's been a few. Okay. All right. Well, Luke, maybe this will be the last time we spin the wheel because we're 0 for 4. You got one well, left. Well, the problem Luke, is you're right? asking me, like, name five obscure things. It's like, okay. All right. Okay. Well, you know, we'll, we'll see how much life this shit has left. We got one more, Luke. Okay. Spin Let's that shit. on a good note. I can only write the questions. I can't make the magic, okay? All right, Open Luke. Hey, Luke, you said something that I felt in the moment 
were the sweetest words I'd have ever heard you say during an episode of last week's MK when we were discussing the issues which regularly plague my favorite sport, the, the great but broken sport of boxing, from coming anywhere close to reaching its full potential. You said that when boxing is at its best, it's the best combat sport there is. And that's something I've always said from day one. It's even something our guy John Anik has said a few different times. He, although, was a boxing lover at first, which a lot of us were before coming around. Um, the problem, of course, Luke, is that you need to savor the flavor because those best moments only tend to show up on the biggest platforms a few times a year. Obviously, a comment like that will draw some outrage from the MMA community who rightfully love the consistency of that great sport, given the control UFC has, and top-level MMA is obviously freaking amazing. Let's never get that wrong. But Luke, you and I wouldn't be sitting here doing our job if it wasn't. I wanted to give you a chance, though, to explain your statement a bit more. What is it about top-end boxing when the stars align and the big fights get made and it actually delivers that makes it so special that it could be even better in given moments than the best of what MMA has? And furthermore, Luke, imagine a scenario in which boxing's problems went away and we had a central governing body. Corruption was gone. We had one major league in which all the promoters were a part of. In this utopian world, what place would boxing hold in the greater sports world, if not pop culture in general overall, if all that magic could be placed on it and all that bad shit can be gone? The latter part is hard because I just don't think you get boxing without the bad stuff. I mean, it is the bad stuff. It's the good stuff too, but it's, you know, it's like, I don't know. What, what if you could just take away all the calories from eating cake, but it wouldn't be cake at that point. Um, yeah. So I'll skip that one. But the, to answer the question, I thought about this a little bit. Like why when we watch like really big main events that really deliver. And, you know, in MMA and boxing, that can be rare all year long or for several years. But just think back in your mind and whatever, whatever fight that is for you. And listen, if you don't like boxing, there's nothing I'm going to say that's going to convince you. But let's say you're at least open to the idea. Think back to the biggest boxing main event that you can remember that just really delivered. What was it about it that delivered? assuming it went the distance in any kind of, or at least, you know, uh, past the eighth round or something. For me, it's that, A, the fights are longer. It's 36 minutes as opposed to 30 if you count the time in between the break. Well, actually, it's more than 36 if you count all of the breaks. So it's a longer fight, but the intervals are shorter, which creates the sort of feel of like chapters in a book. And what you get is a, again, when it all works, and many times it doesn't, but when it works, what you get is this, story of a fight that begins to get told through the competition itself and then the plot goes through twists and it goes up and it goes down and it goes sideways and you didn't see it coming and it usually ends with some kind of culminating moment after all of this turmoil and complexity and fun and uncertainty it just gives because of the length and because of the way the chapters work and how the two competitors might meet, it gives it so much more emotional depth sometimes than uh, what you can often get in MMA, which, you know, three, five-minute rounds, you get a lot of there, but it's, it's, it's just coming and going so fast. You know, it's hard to pay attention to. Folks can forget what happens in a round unless you go back and you watch it again. And then boxing that way too, but it's a little bit more memorable in that way. For me, it's the... Um, it's just the it's just the narrative that can develop 
over the course of round five, round six, round seven, come back round eight, guy gets dropped in round nine, guy drops the other guy in round 10. There's so much more of a story in the book to write when you have all of those ingredients line up. And I admit, BC, it's rare when that happens. But when it does, I just really struggle to think of what its peer could be. You know, I, 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 I've always agreed with this. But I, the reason why I wrote this question is because I wasn't really sure why I agreed with this. And like my romanticizing the classic element of boxing that it's this you know historic sport in comparison to mma maybe but i think you kind of nailed it with the extra chapters creates more of a story and drama and i just think luke knockdowns have a way in big fights of being a, a stop moment whereas you have knockdowns in mma obviously but the fight still goes on and it's part of a larger five minute block and maybe it's the fact that, you know, a knockdown can be so dramatic because a fight can look like it's going one way and then somebody drops and the fight actually stops for 10 seconds. And there's the drama and thrill of will they get up and how much does that one point swing the, you know, the scoring in the fight. Maybe that's it, Luke. Maybe that's the foundation for what it is. Is it just that boxing is a more simpler sport to truly get? Because it's two guys with two fists and that's it? I mean, I don't, I don't know, Luke. I'm trying to even struggle to really put it to words. But I do agree with that. The rare times when boxing is at the very highest, absolute top level and it delivers. Think like Triple G Canelo 2, you know, stuff like that. You're like, holy shit, this is the best sport there is. Luke, hey, I do wonder that see, I have, part I have of some breaking news. It's good and it's bad. Do you want to hear okay. it? Okay, you bring it, Luke, bring it. Uh, good news. We, uh, as in MK, have been nominated for Best MMA Programming by the World MMA Awards. We made the final list. Uh, it's is that us. the same one we are telling people to vote for? Or is this no, no. One? This is the one that is like the MMA Insiders kind of awards. Um, so it's us, the Contender Series, DC and Helwani, uh, the Joe Rogan Show, and UFC Embedded. So the good news is... We got nominated. The bad news is Joe Rogan's on the list. There's no fucking chance we'll win. So it's been a good run. I appreciate the nomination. So thank you for the nomination. Pretty cool to yeah. see, but um, we ain't going to win that shit. Sorry. All right. All right. Yeah. Well, we'll just wrap up this segment anyway, Luke. Okay. I thought I had you, but I lost you. That's okay. You know, sometimes you win, and then sometimes you just put an episode out on a Wednesday. That sucks. You know, and if that happened this week... um, I'll be better. I'll be better. Do we time. have fan subs this week? Yeah, we do, Luke. We do. I don't know if you care enough to, to, to react to them. Are you ready, Luke? Hey, listen, do, uh, first of all, let me just say something. These are the awards that uh, I think they've been around for like 13 or so years. These are the ones that I feel like stuff that I am involved with. And then now you and us. Like, I don't feel like we're the award-winning type of show, even though I feel like we do a lot of great things. And again, we're not going to win. I mean, you've got Joe Rogan and UFC official programming on there. It's kind of hopeless for us. But, you know, to acknowledge that, at least among insiders, that they that we deserve a place among the five, uh, it's pretty cool, man. It's good to see. Show me a fan with a JRE tat on their left bicep. Oh, I bet okay. there are some. I bet there's many. All right. Show me a JRE fan who uh, makes his own Lan Jaeger. And delivers it by hand to the host, Luke. Yes, that's a little different. Out of a gym bag. That's weird and awful, but I did eat the Land Jaeger, and it was it was okay. It was okay. It was good, actually. Right. I heard it, it prevents COVID, too, Luke. Okay. 
Hey, let's take this flat tire of a show to the to the garage here. Let's close with uh, morningcombat at gmail.com is your uh, email address to send in pictures of you usually wearing our shit. It's called Fan Submissions. Oh, fuck. Right, I, got, I got more with... breaking news real quickly. You ready for this one? It's just all bad. Let me guess. You got a shit, Luke. Is that the breaking no, news? No, 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 no. Chris Weidman tells uh, SiriusXM that his leg has not healed correctly, and he is now scheduled for another surgery. Damn, dude. That, that is tough to deal with, Luke. Damn. That is tough. Fuck. I hope he's okay. Mm, that's bad. This game is this game is brutal, Luke. It really is. It, it really is, it's man. Un- I, it's, 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 it's hard. It's hard. Yep. Yep. I mean, you know, we thought cauliflower ear was gross, right? Cauliflower ear is the least of these people's concern. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Hey, Paul G's got a fan sub. He says, hello, Luke, Brian, and company. I've been a fan since Luke was calling Danny Segura his arepa, and Brian had a functioning liver. Wow. That was a long time ago. Um, He says, uh, I used my factory town grit to not only heal from knee surgery and earn my blue belt from my grappling gym, but win double gold in my first tournament back, my weight class and open weight. Here I am taking limbs and repping my 1.0 merch with my wonderful Latina girlfriend who also watches the show. My next goal is to make my kickboxing smoker debut through your favorite MMA gym in Dallas and then become a long and strong six foot three welterweight or middleweight Mm. while continuing to rep MK merch when possible. Best regards and much love from Tejas. It's Paul G. Manich, can you blow this up? Let's get a good look at this guy. Luke, a six foot three welterweight potentially. Bro, that Kimura in the second photo, he stepped over the head. He's got that fucking guy dead to rights, man. Uh, he's got his 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 lovely woman posting tips for us, Luke. Yeah, although go back to the photos. Yeah, player, you got to use your thumb on the top of your hand, not to grab the wrist. Oh, here we go. You can't just celebrate sorry, it's the guy. True. Hey, thanks Dude, for the- it's true. I'm sorry. Anybody who's, who can see it will tell you. Look at me. The Kimura is gripped like this, not like this. Sorry, like Mr. Hebas. I'm sure your daughter loves you, but you know your skin is uh, screwed for life there. All right. Okay. Thank you, Paul, for your uh, contribution to this world and that gym. And, uh, yes, but also congratulations on the blue belt and congratulations on the double gold. Wish you nothing but the best in your martial arts journey. Do you have any advice for him on going pro as an MMA fighter, Luke, to maybe not do it? Given Sa- what happened same advice fight? I give to everyone. If you want to do it, keep showing up as long as it motivates you, and then once it doesn't, call it a day. Easy. I hope that same spirit carries over to you for this show, Luke, one day. If it's just, just not, you're not feeling it anymore, just, just walk away, okay? I don't I'm need, feeling I don't need you it. I'm feeling it. I'm not feeling some of the segments you force on me, but otherwise I'm feeling it. All right, Luke, there's a, there's a fellow named Rajiv. He has four photos to show us. He says, what's up, Donks? My name is Rajiv. Sorry, Rajiv. I live in Vegas. I'm a day one fan. Bummed I missed the live show because of work. I felt compelled oh, wow. to submit some pics. Rock and merch 1.0 to add some pigment to your fan subs With and let you MF know. Doom. Only <laughs> look at this. He wants us to know that only 99% of MK fans have stormed the Capitol. <laughs> He said, I did get a pick at 264 with the championship belt repping the number one combat sports pod. Next time you're in Vegas, you should check out the Arts District. Oh, that sounds artsy. It's a little off the north end of the strip. It's something for the BBC and the LT. Great food, art, booze, and most importantly, we got BBLs. 
Wishing you guys continued success and happy belated B-Day, BC. P.S. If you're in Vegas and decided to break, take a break from detoxing your liver, drinks are on me. Luke, R- Rajiv, I think is our type of guy here. All right? I got to say, I felt like we did a pretty good job when we went to Vegas uh, earlier this month of not drinking that much, right? We drank a little bit, yeah. but not much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the other, the other things, Luke. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we did a lot of the other stuff, but we didn't do much yeah. drinking. All right, uh, Luke. Um, I would take Rajiv up on his offer to check out. Oh yeah, he seems great, dude. I mean, and then I want to see that what that MF Doom is. That looked pretty cool. All right, let's keep it going. Daniel says, "I got an oldie but goodie." Is this chick's phone case the one that BC has? It is a Kate Spade. Yes. Oh, come on. Yes. Come on. That, no, bro. I got yes. the, man, the man version. Look, that white one is the female one. This is like the artsy man one. Luke, all I know is I asked Eric Elbaracin if this, was, if this was a male product, if this was artsy. And do you know I also asked Floyd Mayweather when we sat down? Oh, let me hold up. When we sat down with the Versace robes, Luke, Floyd was into this pattern, all right? I don't remember Floyd what Mayweather. Floyd said, but asking Eric, who is amazing, but also dresses like Liberace, is not exactly asking a neutral audience. <laughs> MMA's answer to Liberace, that's brilliant. Wow, all right. Thank you, Daniel, but no, that's the female one you have right there. Uh, Matt slides in and says, BC has inspired me to create some art. I hope the guys like this drawing. Also, this fan submission comes with a trivia question. Who was the first Canadian UFC champion, Luke? The uh, Carlos Newton. Correct. He said yeah. Newton slapped a bulldog choke on Pat Miletic at UFC 31. As a Canadian myself, this is still the only fight to ever provide me with a sexual release. Thanks, guys. All the best, Matt. Sexual release, Luke. I didn't need to know that. What do you think of this drawing? It's actually pretty good. Drawing's pretty good. Drawing, especially your beard, but they should have put more white in it. And then they should have made your hair like jet black and Wayne Newton-y. <laughs> All right, uh, let's go over to Tom R. He says, these MK tats are getting out of hand. <laughs> God, dude. Uh, that, that is that Damien is... from Stockton's chest, Luke. Bro, Damien, like, does he have a, a significant other or something? Like, how does he explain that to them? I believe, I asked him, Luke, on that video, which you can check out on YouTube, um, if the the satanic death tattoos have hurt his game or helped it. And, Luke, he says help. Yeah, but helped help. among who? Like, here's the thing. I've been to death metal shows any number of times. Women do show up there, but they're, you know, they're zeros. I mean, you wouldn't. You wouldn't uh, go home with him on a dare uh, unless, you know, whatever. But uh, so is he getting more of that? Because, I mean, imagine meeting like a normal person like, oh, what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm an accountant. Hey, here's a child being hung uh, on my chest and a tattoo. Like it just doesn't work. But if another person also has a satanic tattoo, well, then they're into it. But who has a satanic tattoo that's a woman that you would find I will say, sneaky? I know you won't watch that interview with him, Luke, because you don't really care about our fans or our staff much. Oh, but I will say. It that um he is a sweetheart he does come across like that luke despite those tattoos okay so shout out to damien who's currently protecting me in the great battle of uh, fighter pay with john nash so uh great to see all right okay. luke uh hickson hickson is here he says uh, hey there bc and luke keep up the great work i've been a fan since the mma beat days 
when you two were part of the Canadians guest panel. A uh, bit of trivia, Luke. I've never worked with the Canadian. Yeah, but, uh, you were only out- on once I was hosting. That's right. Yes, yes. Let's, because I, you know, I probably would have stolen the show, Luke. I mean, to be honest with you. Wow, Luke, fast and by curious. That's um. You know what? That's pretty fucking funny, is what it is. That is uh, that's offensive in a few different ways, Luke. But uh, thank you, uh, Hickson. He's got one more meme for us, Luke. <laughs> You're damn right. Okay, you're damn. Hey, Luke, didn't you visit some uh, graffiti walls in D.C. recently? I didn't mean to. I, I took my daughter to a park, um, and there was this giant wall along this trail, and they update the paintings every so often. I guess I hadn't been in a while, and all of them were new, and I was like, wow, and they were pretty good, actually. All right. Hey, Luke, we got one more for you. It's from our good friend, Muhammer. He says, hello, after listening to today's episode and BC's outrageous claim that TJ can be awarded round five based <laughs> on BC's feelings... I guess I had two choices, punching a hole through my mother or trying to transform my anger into something else, something therapeutic. Some may even say some art. Best Muhammer. Let's see what he did here, Luke. What do we got here? So did you see uh, Infinity War and Endgame? No, I did not. Uh, okay, so I can't remember if it was Infinity War or Endgame, which one of the two he got it in, but he got the reality stone. And so when he closed his fist... He could use one of the stones, the Infinity Stones, to just remake reality in his image. And the quote yes. is what Thanos says. Reality can be whatever I want it to be. Yeah. Well, I mean, am I, am I making up my own judging rules or are the three judges assigned judging well, on I think if, standards? I, I think we both are in different ways. But like, if, we, if we say we understand why fights are scored the way they're scored, but we disagree with why fights are scored that way... We're kind of being a little bit Thanosy with it. Yeah, there is something to be said for that. Okay. All right. Thank you, Muhammad, for sliding in. Thank you to all our fun folks for joining us here. Morningcombat at gmail.com for your dead wrongs on Friday, for your fan subs on Wednesday. A lot of people always ask as well, how do I get in that DM for donks business every Sunday night on our Instagram page, Morning Combat? You can respond to our post asking for dm questions so there's your social information below uh two-hour show today luke i you know i wouldn't say it was our best i wouldn't i wouldn't uh, say it's our worst i wouldn't i wouldn't say it's anything you know anything close to what we can do on a regular basis luke in fact you know we we may we may have just fucked around today we we may we may have lost subs luke okay no i think we fucked around and hit a triple double you know what i'm saying it's been a good day all right all right. Uh, he gave you the email, but there's other places that we want you to go to, which includes all of our social channels. The name Morning Combat is consistent everywhere. Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, you name it. BC and I have slightly different names between Instagram and Twitter, but please give us a follow if you'd be so inclined. Um, reminder, Bellator 263, 10 p.m. in the East, starts on Showtime on Saturday. So the prelims will start on YouTube before that, but if you want to try Showtime, you certainly may for free. You go to Showtime.com, get a 30-day free trial. If you like it, keep it. If not, be a dumbass. I mean, it's not illegal and wrong to be a dumbass. You just won't have as good of a life. Uh, if you want to get some merch, you can go to morningcombat.store. There's plenty of there to peruse. And uh, yes, uh, we'll take your dead wrongs at morningcombat at gmail on Friday. BC, anything else? Oh, all of our interviews and whatnot. Anything else coming up between now and then? I think I'm talking to Uriah Hall today, Luke. I think... 
Okay, and then uh, we also have uh, the weigh-ins we're going to be reacting to. We're going to have the presser, which we're going to be reacting to tomorrow and Friday. So lots of MK content coming your way. There will be a chat. It just won't be live. I'll take your questions, record a video, and then just upload it. But it will be on its way. Okay. Yo, you think that 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 mother effer Jay Aaron, who says he who claims he 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 landed a kick that knocked Uriah Hall over during practice? We'll get to the bottom of that once and for all, right? Now's your chance. You can ask Uriah. Uriah is not going to know who that is. I guarantee. Maybe I'll I'll address him as Pennington. Maybe maybe Uriah will understand that a little bit better. Uh, check out our resume review as well on YouTube. Um, our folks put a lot of work into it, and you know what? It's really freaking good. Hey, Luke, final question to you: If AJ McKee wins on Saturday, which is very much within the in the uh, within the spectrum of reality, will you come clean and say yes? The MK curse is very real. No, because it wouldn't prove anything. What is the mechanism right. of the curse? Who has the power, and why did they bestow it upon us? How long does it last? What are the what what, what are the things that make this? part of how life operates no it would mean fucking absolutely nothing other than what people want to imagine it would be no all right there you go uh just to update william hill currently has aj mckee plus 105 pitbull minus 125 so That's this is a, a close veritable pick em fight luke uh we'll see we'll let the curse decide who wins okay you know that's all i'm saying no doubt about it uh okay well, we appreciate everyone turning in to watch, like the video, hit subscribe. We'll be back tomorrow and Friday and Saturday night. We got plenty of coverage coming your way. So for Malka, CBS, Showtime, the King of Connecticut, I'm your boy, Luke Thomas. Until next time, may all of your gains be loyal. The epic finale of the Featherweight World Grand Prix is here. Legendary 145-pound champ Patricio Pitbull. Pure dominance. Collides with the undefeated AJ Mercenary McKee. The longest win streak in Bellator history. For $1 million on the world title. Bellator MMA, live Saturday, July 31st on Showtime, where warriors rule. So what happens now?
Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community and of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.